Welcome to the Fight or Die podcast. This is your host, Adam Howarth. We are joined today by our co-host, Brandon Simmons, and we have a guest for you. Um, We're going to be talking to BJ Gannam. This is a gentleman who served in the active duty Marine Corps, the Marine Corps Reserve, and since I think has put together quite the story that um, I'm interested to talk about. I think uh, Brandon and I, as we led up into this episode, uh, pretty eager to get to know BJ and uh, how how he ends up in the rooms that he ends up in. And I think that, um, you know, everybody's going to be benefit to figure out how, how we all wind through the roads that we wind through as we get through our lives. So um, without further ado, BJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Just got back in from Connecticut um, as we gave away that 2020 Jeep Rubicon Gladiator launch edition, launch edition that was completely tricked out by our corporate sponsors, North American Motor Car. And it was great. A great guy out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio, won it. Uh, turns out that he was in between cars at the time, too. Like, he oh, yeah. had to get rid of his old car, and uh, so it worked out perfect. So we're actually going to film us delivering that in a couple weeks to him and toss him the keys. I think it'll be pretty fun to see. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, life can take you down some weird roads, but it's kind of nice when sometimes you get some feedback that you're right where you're supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. And so to elaborate, like uh, for any, for the uninitiated, uh, you're running this organization, Sierra Delta. Maybe maybe catch us up on yeah. that so people understand the concept of this this Jeep giveaway and why it was so profound. So Sierra Delta is a nonprofit company. I started, uh, I wrote the program for it in 2016 and then started fleshing it out, got all the 501c paperwork in 2017. Uh, that year, we had a partnership with Blue Buffalo and Petco. We raised a million and a half dollars in five weeks and gave it all to the service dog uh, academies that are out there that were working with vets. And the idea was, I thought if I generated some more money for them, um, maybe we could increase the amount of vets getting service dogs. And it really didn't move the needle much, which is what President Bush told me. Um, I don't know if you know, I was painted by President Bush too in the Portraits of Courage. Um, and he told I, I hope at some point we get the story of this because right. yeah. frankly, I've never been painted. Uh, so <laughs> so he did, I, w- I didn't sit for it. He, he actually painted my LinkedIn profile picture and then a picture of me and uh, uh, Jack Schumacher, another vet, when we played in his golf tournament. Um, we were coming off the 18th green and I had my arm around him and he had his arm around me and he painted his picture called Brothers in Arms and it was, it was really good. It was one of my favorites. But, um, awesome. you know, he told me, he's like, he calls me Belushi. He's like, Belushi, I can give $5 million to any one of these uh, dog companies and it won't move, the ne- won't move the needle. And we proved him right. It didn't really move the needle at all. And as I was getting more and more into it, I, I kept thinking back to when I was first injured and I first got back to Wisconsin. One of the first things I bought was an old English bulldog puppy uh, named him Dozer, had no training. Um, wasn't very talented at anything other than eating a piping hot cheeseburger in one bite and clearing <laughs> room with his parts, right? But he was my dumb dog, and I loved that little bastard. And um, well, he was a big bastard. But uh, when I had my darkest times, you know, after the, the bad divorce and the DUI and looking like I might lose my career with Kraft Foods and everything's just going down the down the to- down the drain quickly. You know, I have good family, good friends, but I think you, I think a lot of people get to those dark moments. And, and in one of my darkest, 
I knew if I did anything drastic that uh, no one would take care of Dozer. So he was that catalyst, if you will, for me to kind of look in the mirror and be like, this is my problem. I need to work on me. Once I get me straight, then I'll work on the rest of the world. And uh, things started getting better and I just stayed focused on me. And, um, and it's funny that the more I focus on me, the, the better the rest of the world gets around me. So um, better my life gets. So that's well, kind of where I started going with, with, with Sierra Delta was that, why are we putting so much emphasis on these Ferrari of dogs, if you will, these $65,000 service dogs when 95% of the vets just need an F-150, you know, just need a dog to get you from here to there and, and be that fire team member, right? I just call it reestablishing the fire team. I can't give you another person. I give you a dog and I can give you this communication skills to communicate with that dog. And the two of you, you make a pretty damn good fire team and it's proven out. And this way we can get dogs out of the rescues or if guys already have dogs or somebody already has a dog, we can work on training that. And it's more so the training and figuring it out that the vets end up liking. Like, it's so funny. The common theme has been, we knew you were going to train our dogs. We didn't know we were going to get trained too, but we like it. You know, we, we, ba we base it on the four principles. It spells out Epic. You know, it's empowerment, purpose, innovation, and community. That's exactly what we focus on and it's working. And it sounds like you guys started with a mission to, to do something with a dog. And instead it turns out the dogs didn't need anything. You just needed people. Yeah. And that's when I, I kind of figured out what the biggest weakness was for a lot of these dog programs is that they're dog centric programs. Right. And they're doing it for veterans. Whereas we're a veteran organization and we just happen to focus in dog therapy. So we meet with the veterans first find out what it is they need and slash want. Um, you know, we're, we're playing around with a couple of vets that are in uh, hunting dog training. Uh, they have their dogs. They had hunting dogs. We're helping to pay for the training. And we're seeing how that works. People are getting in the Frisbee with their dogs. Uh, we want to put on a Sierra Delta games where it would be an obstacle course between, uh, you know, the vets and their dog, you know, to run it for time. And have some fun like that. It's like a tough mutter meets, you know, the floor is lava. <laughs> and, you know, you have some fun. It's something we can do regionally. You know, we're thinking that we'll eventually have like the Super Bowl of Sierra Delta games at the Super Bowl when we play the flag football game. And, you know, just make it a culture like what it was for us when we're in the military. Right. Yeah. When you're in those units, you're just walking around and, and the rest of the world can't touch you because you got your squad, you got your fire team, you got your platoon, your company, your your core, your what are you guys? Army, army of one, what is it? Army strong, army uh, army of one when I joined. Army of one. All right. Army Dating one. yourself. And they used it against you, right? Because then all of a sudden the drills would be like, What do you think? You're an army of one? You're like, yeah. That's that's literally what I signed up for. <laughs> that's what I got told this was gonna be. And I want cake yeah. and basic training drill. <laughs> Clearly that never happened. I mean, today, right. today the cake is happening, but not then. No. no. I, one day I'll tell you the story about cake and basic. That'll be a good <laughs> one for you. My boot camp cake story. So mm. my beef, right? I see a lot of these, these nonprofits stand up and, um, 
it's you know not to uh misquote but like they do their dog and pony show they they give out their prize and then they clap and then it's done and i think that like there's a disconnect there because like it sounds like what you guys are doing differently is that you're you're sticking along you're still there you know later on you're still seeing how people are doing in a part of this process and this growth period yeah maybe maybe enlighten us to like how that's working and and what the future looks like for you guys well the thing is yeah we're you know, people used to always say, BJ, you do so much with vets. And I always tell them, I was like, I don't really do much. I just hang out with them. Right. And that's essentially what Sierra Delta is, is we, we give the vets the tools they need to enhance that relationship with either the dog they have or help them find the dog that's going to motivate them to, to do better. Right. Like we all have the hard times. There's, there's pain, there's regret, there's, uh, you know, worry, um, just a bunch of different things, but there's also resilience. There's also, you know, the dark humor that we get, the, the, you know, that, that we can pretty much, it doesn't matter how bad it's going to suck. We'll get through it. Right. You know, at least we're not under the bridge anymore. At least we're not in the field when it's raining or it's a million degrees or there's a hurricane or any of those other things, right? So there's a lot of good things too. And so the idea behind Sierra Delta is create that digital community, but that is also supported with actual analog interaction. So we're seeing a lot of the the vets on their own get together and having their own coffee or having their own dog walks and stuff like that. And that's what we want to see. Like I went through a lot of nonprofits and there's some really good ones out there. And then there's some really ones that are, they have the best intentions, Yeah. but you're right. Like it's, it's, it's more about them, right? They want to save one of us poor vets and they want to put us on this pedestal. We get our thing and then it's on to the next one. Right. And that's good in its way too, because a lot of those things help me kind of figure out, how I was going to be okay with not being a Marine anymore. So when I got injured, I wasn't ready to hang up the boots. You know, I was a platoon sergeant of a Marine infantry platoon. And it was in my mind, it was my first deployment. So this is the first quarter of a, of the championship game. And, and, and yeah, I wasn't ready. And so that, that angered me, right. Cause you, you kind of see yourself as the, the hero in your own movie, right? At least I do. I mean, yeah. no one's going to write themselves as the supporting character in their own story, right? Wait a minute. I think something that you hit on there, like fits with your empowerment piece is, um, you know, letting people go with it. And I think, you know, that parallels military theory of like decentralized command, like how fast can you decentralize command that you'll be more successful that way. Some of these nonprofits don't necessarily do that. And I don't think they're wrong for that. They just don't know what their blind spots are. And the faster you can kind of turn it over to the other people and then support them in their journey or guide them, then awesome. And so I think that's one of the things that like, when I think of what you guys are doing, that that impresses me the most. I think you even mentioned that you guys are developing a a web app or like a phone application to continue uh, supporting that process and people's growth. Yeah, it's already there. It's just we haven't really advertised it yet. We've already built it. It's there. It's working. We're just tweaking out some bugs. Uh, we're building the the other end for the trainers. So all the trainers coming through a different portal, we vet them that way. 
And then we've got calendar. We've got ID me now um, on the site yeah. so we can verify people's service within 30 seconds. Um, yeah. so that's, a, that's a handy service. Cause like, I don't carry whatever I'm supposed to carry yeah. when I'm supposed to carry it. And there's times when I'm like, I would like my North face discount, please. Exactly. And ID me is there for him. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Exactly. And so, you know, that's the other thing that's different. We're for all vets, all of them. If all 18 million vets want training for their dogs or help finding the right dog companion, dog therapy, we're going to figure it out. And we have the system built to where all we need is, is money. I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like that because everybody hates that, but at the end of the day, we're just training the dogs, but we're going to build all the rest of the stuff around it. And and that's where we're in Walmart this month um, with Blue Buffalo. Um, that's a big that's a big deal for us, you know. Um, and next year we'll be on Radio Row. We won't be doing the game. We got our golf outing at TPC Sawgrass on April first of next year. That was postponed from this year. Uh, two years before that, it was at Wingfoot. So I mean, we've got some good things. We've got Blue Buffalo back in us, General Mills. Uh, we're bringing on more and more sponsors every day, and, and they're seeing it. We're talking with the American Legion and the BFW to open up all 18,000 of their underutilized clubhouses across the United States to allow independent trainers to meet vets there, either in small groups or one-on-one groups, right? So it's a safe space to have the training. Uh, they can have their veteran service officer there. The other, other community assets can meet there to try to support it. And when we have guys and gals graduate from different levels of training, we can do a community little celebration. I mean, again, it's, we don't need to fly guys to Florida or New York or California to get a, a dog. This is 30,000 year old technology. Like yeah. we've made it more complicated just to make it more complicated. Well, and working smarter, not harder. You know, you're not That's thinking right. you have to build some state of the art facility for this kind of thing. Like, the dogs don't know where they're at. You know, we're not even going to be comfortable in that space. Like put us where we're comfortable and let us work the dog. Right. And, it, and, and the vets, like once you graduate, so there's only a thousand service dogs produced for vets every year. Um, most of these great organizations only do 30 to 50 vets a year. And to me, that's, that's not enough because out of the 18 million, 150,000 are estimated to need service dog level dogs. And if we're only doing a thousand a year, that's going to take us 150 years to meet the demand. It's pretty pathetic. I think that's where like expectations have to meet reality is that like we may see this, this projection about what we're supposed to try to do, but so we're supposed to leave how many people unserviced or how many people unsatisfied or or without that maybe instead we kind of meet them in a space and see if they can come that space too. Cause I think that's, you know, that's empowerment is empowering people to actually heal from this. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's so important because this isn't complicated, right? Now, they'll always take the case of, you know, a vet that's blind or a vet that has a severe TBI. And yeah, when we have those vets, they get everything. If they need to get into one of those academies, we do our best to help them get in there. Or we hire the, the trainers outright to train the dog to what it's need. There's there's no unicorn piss that they're sprinkling on these dogs in the academies that, you know, make it $65,000. It's, um, you know, they, they do great work, but we can do it better for a lot more. Um, and there's a lot of dogs getting wasted. You know, we just, just a large breed, 
dogs in this country, we kill 800,000 trainable, adoptable, healthy dogs every year. Mm. I mean, I, I just got a new rescue up by you guys, up from Appleton. Loki, come here. Come here, buddy. And for everybody who's sitting at home who's only on audio only, we're about to meet this awesome dog via video, and you won't get to see it. But oh my gosh, look at this dog! Yeah. Come on, I know you're tired. Adorable. Yeah, and so he's awesome. We just got him from a rescue. He was because his white collar. You see, he has this white collar. He's German Shepherd mixed with like Border Collie. Yeah. But whoever had him would lock him, locked him in a cage. He was underfed and. Um, we're fattening him up and he's taking the training. We've gone to sit me sit in Madison. Yeah. It's, uh, sit me sit has a franchise is over 140 across the country. And many of them are owned by vets. And the one that's here in Madison is owned by an army vet. And it's a great partnership and we're getting training on Loki. I'm, I don't need a dog to go everywhere with me, even though most dog companies try to get me like, hey, won't you take one of our dogs? And I'm like, Man. I'm good. And like, I got a hard enough time keeping up with myself on the road. Um, but it does make all the difference to have a dog here. Um, especially when I'm gone to have a dog like as big as Loki to be yeah. here in the house and, and just, yeah. you know, he's not a security dog either, but he, he's a big deterrent. I, I mean, say, yeah, it's yeah. a difference though, right? It's a big security dog. You just gotta be a big dog. Exactly. Seen. exactly. You know, the common military phrase of like, I've got your six and uh, whether yeah. that's overused or not, whatever. Um, but the idea sure. that like you can go to bed at night and reasonably that dog, they just, they don't tune down in the same way we have to tune down. Yeah. Yeah. They got all damn day to sleep on the couch, you know, like, uh, you know, it's nice to know that that person's out there waiting for you. Even in the summers, like I've got an emotional support dog back when I used to rent apartments yeah. and, you know, it's become just part of our, yeah. our family dog at this point, but leaving the window cracked a little bit so that I don't yeah. have to worry about it. Uh, I'm not listening for like the security camera to beep or something like, you know what? The dog's got this. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the best things is that with Sierra Delta now and us becoming so well known and, and becoming more of this national brand around dogs and vets, we're able to work with um, rental companies and most of the rental companies are, are willing to, um, even if the vet hasn't passed all the, the training yet, they know that they're in our program, they allow it. And it's mostly because they have someone else to call, right? If there's an issue, they can call us. We work with the vet and it just makes everybody feel better, right? And so with this app, we have it to where all the training certificates and all the health records you can share with like Delta and Marriott with one button. And so we're, we have meetings. We had a whole bunch of meetings scheduled for this past summer, but COVID ruined it. So yeah. we're hoping to get back on that meeting train. And, and, and again, everybody that has a dog already, like even if you have all your training meet, needs met, you can go ahead and apply at Sierra Delta and get in the community, get in part of the game. Um, you know, we have a closed Facebook group that the, um, everybody uses. And it's amazing. They share their own stories in there. You know, we just monitor it. It's a safe space. And uh, we've got, we've produced, I think, 14 vignettes of the different video vignettes. So you can see, you see Matter. He actually talks about um, how Zool, his dog that he has from us, is, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have to worry as much going to bed. And, and when he is having nightmares, Zool licks his face, wakes him back up, reminds him that he's all right, you know. So 
you know, it, it's little things like that that make all the difference, but it doesn't mean that you need to wait two years and you don't need to, yeah. you know, have a fundraise for 60. I mean, we're seeing for our Life Buddy program, I mean, we're turning out the high level service dogs at 10 grand, you know, cutting out all the facilities, all the other stuff, and just focusing on training and sometimes acquiring a better breed of dog for specific needs. But for the most part, you know, a lot of guys only need about $800 worth of basic obedience training, you know, and then there's a few other things in between. So, I mean, I think we can get closer to the four or $5,000 average. And, and then when you layer in the gamification of this, right. And we really start putting some um, rewards behind it, even just ranking up, we have, we can have it to where the branches of service go against each other. <clears throat> You know, you can have yeah, officers you know, that competition will never go. die. <laughs> you know, so I mean, let's have some fun with this. Like, let's have some fun with our recovery. Like, trying to fit back into society after, you know, being out on the front lines and kind of seeing what the rest of the world, why everybody's trying to kill themselves to get to this country, right? We we've seen it yeah. firsthand, and to come back and just see how pretentious and complacent and complicit and out of touch you know we, can seem out of touch yeah <laughs> the rest of our society can be it, it's it, it angers you and there's a dog can just help you just hey guy i got you you know let's go for a run let's go chase this let's go do that let's meet up with other vets with their dogs right if you have I've always found that if you get into a, a heated conversation, my other dog, Sonora, who she's now 10 years old, she's an English bulldog. Um, you know, I just pull out a picture of her and they pull out a picture of their dog and it diffuses the conversation, right? I mean, dogs, they can do so much for us. And it's not, again, it's 30,000 year old technology. We don't have to make it more complicated. Yeah, I remember well, before really I got about, my dog. Go ahead, Brandon. What I'm really digging about uh, what you've been talking about so far. So I won't name drop the organization that I went through. Um, but I did go through another organization to get a dog. It took over a year wait and this wasn't a service dog. This was just a, you know, an emotional yeah. support. And I got the dog. I lived in an apartment. I got no help on like what to do with the dog. Just like a, all right, we got you a dog. And I was like, well, yeah. this is great except it's tearing up my carpet. And it's like, I live in an apartment. There's a security yeah. deposit. Now I'm this dog is supposed to be right. helping my stress level and it's not. So now what do I do? Who do I talk to? Mm -hmm. Nothing from this organization. Yeah. I never got another word other than like, Hey, is everything good? Like, no, no, it's not like, yeah. now what do I do? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, that's not good. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. That's really not good. So now what do I do? Nothing. I ended up having to give the dog back and that sucked. Cause I'm like, I've We've heard I want so to... many stories like that. Yeah. And there's other organizations that will come take the dog. If they don't feel that you're not going out in public with their dog enough. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right. Like let's keep it simple, stupid. Right. Are we the only ones that got that lesson? You know? Yeah. And I mean, what we do is we reward self-reporting. So that yeah. takes half of the, the, the burden off of us. I mean, we're only seven people. There's only seven employees at Sierra Delta and the rest are contractors, but 
you know, I mean, we're able to do a lot with a little because we trust the veterans, right? Like we're, we give them a target, they hit the target and we do this together, right? Because the, we, we let everybody know, Hey, if you don't have a service dog, don't take your dog everywhere. Take it wherever your dogs are, wherever dogs are allowed. Yeah. And we help everybody understand that. And we also help to teach them how to ask for permission, how to teach them like, Hey, this is a Sierra Delta dog. It's not technically a service dog, but it, if you've achieved good canine citizen, you pretty much achieved the service dog test other than yeah. announcing what your injury is. Right. Um, and then once they move to having psychiatric service dogs, how can we really judge who needs a service dog for psychiatric needs more than somebody else? Right. So let's just make this all about training. A lot of the other businesses are already becoming dog friendly. We spent $75 billion as a nation last year on dog accessories. So it's, it's a very profitable business. So people want to have their dog. So all we're doing is giving who we think is the most important, the 18 million vets resources to better enhance that, that relationship. And for, most of the vets don't even want any money from us. They just want to be a part of the organization. And that's great. What we say is the more healthy vets we have participating, it helps the guys that are, that maybe need a little bit more help to get, to get there, to, to learn from them and see, you're right. I don't have to be a Debbie Downer about this the whole time. I don't have to be woe is me, right? I can get better because we're taught by the VA if you get better, they'll take away all your benefits and take away all your, <laughs> all the, they give you more benefits and more support, the worse off you are. If you're drunk, if you can't hold a job, you can't stay married, you know, you'll get more stuff from the VA. And I figured that's half the problem. Let's set up something else yeah. to where, let's see if we can't get more from rewards. Right. And, and, and so far it's working and people are seeing that it's, it has the potential because, at first, everybody thought you're crazy if you open it up to all vets because you'll never be able to afford it. And I'm like, I think we can. If we got just 1% of that 75 billion that was spent last year, that's 750 million a year. At 4,000, 5,000 a dog even, if we just you know, pull some numbers out of the air, you can get a lot of people done for that much money. Yeah. And you kind of referenced, like you, you said the idea of like moving the needle and initially maybe it wasn't happening. So like, what have you guys learned? Like, how do you, you know, how are you moving the needle? What, what's the difference there? So, I mean, one of the, one of the ways is we've engaged with a lot of these working dog um, trainers that stayed away from service dogs altogether, or emotional support animals altogether because of all the drama with it. Uh, we've also have a partnership with the department of labor. We wrote the life buddy apprentice program. Um, this is where, an organization like Sit Means Sit or PetSmart or Petco, anybody that has the training facilities, they'll get tax benefits from the IRS to hire, hire on an apprentice and the Department of Labor will pay that apprentice a two-year cost of living stipend to learn dog training. I mean, again, this isn't brain surgery, man. We're teaching, we're teaching dog training and that could be a viable life skill for a lot of underemployed, I mean, it could be a nice side hustle. Um, and 
if we put the community around it and we put a mission behind it, like, hey, we're going to help. And, and especially the older vets, right? Out of the 18 million, 12 million or 55 and older. And that's where the majority of the suicides are coming from. Yeah. So the other program we're working on is, is old dogs with old vets, right? Because they're less likely to get adopted. Some of these old vets don't want to take on a puppy or don't want to take on a dog that's going to live for 15 years because they're not sure if they're going to live for 15 years. But they're willing to take on fostering, you know, open-ended foster or even adopting an older dog, right? And that gets them in the community. We provide resources for them. Again, vets are getting together to dog walk or meet in dog parks or meet at a coffee shop that allows the dogs, you know, once we get past all this COVID. But even still, they're getting together ones and twosies on their own because we've established this connection. And it's about, it's not about us. It's not like we're coming to group, right? Like, hey, I'm BJ. I'm, you know, nine-year recovering Marine. And, you know, not to make fun of group. I'm not making fun of group. I'm just saying that it's, it's something different because we're all focused on our dogs, right? So it's not about us anymore, which makes it easier for us, I think, right? And the dogs don't care. They love the attention. And we're out and we're doing the things that we want, we want to get done. And I think it's easier for us to do it because we're not as focused on, well, what if this, you know, you're focused on the dog and making sure the dog has what they need and the dog is doing what they're supposed to do, what the trainer taught you to do with your dog. So it's just like patrolling, right? It's just, you got a, you got a different patrol mate. Yeah. I think about like uh, my dog. So like you guys, you guys are 2017 to present. Is that right? So like, I got my dog probably in 20, 2013 now she's getting old. And um, the reason I wanted to get a dog and I legitimately, I started with the idea that I want to get an emotional support animal is um, did I had a hard time just having to go to bed. I had a hard time getting up when I was supposed to get up. And like, I was leading a pretty stable life at that point, but I still had some pieces I was missing. And uh, sure enough, I get this dog and this dog wants to go to bed every night at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. So right in that window, that dog wants to go to bed. It is out of bed and I hear the feet hit the floor right around seven o'clock. Up, oh, up we go. Don't yeah. want the dog to pee on the carpet or anything. Right, exactly. And like then the routine started to happen. Then I got to walk this dog. Well, yeah. now I'm now I got to talk to people, but it's not about me. Right. We're talking about our dogs. Right. So no longer am I trying to clear corners when I come around the block. Now I'm just walking my dog. Right. And now, like you talk about these old guys, now I've got this seven-year-old dog that wants to sleep all day. But if I'm up there working from the couch now, because, you know, we're working yeah. from home, I got a dog that puts her butt right up against me. And it's, you know, I'm still, to, I'm with somebody else. I'm doing this thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's it cost me over the years? You know, less than, less than a thousand. And it's, it's method of right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, so like, right, even right now, you can apply to Sierra Delta. You already have your dog you're in the community. And then maybe, hey, We've got all these videos on here. I don't know why my dog does this. There's a video. Or you can schedule an appointment with Derek Tillman or Tony Smith. They can maybe do something over FaceTime. Or maybe we book you a one-on-one training, you know, to work out some things with a local trainer that we know in your area. Like, I don't know what it is. And that's why we don't really put too many descriptors out of what you can expect you can expect that we're going to figure it out with you but you're driving it right and we're going to work with you like it's nothing more than a five paragraph order but about you you and your dog (laughs) and like how can we get you to operate how can we get you and your dog to operate what's it going to take 
and think yeah. of all these things throughout the years that like the power has been in the system or the program, yep. but that's not where the power's at. The yep. power's with the people and their dog, right? Like, yeah. let's just adjust as, as we need to adjust because sometimes like, like you said, you're giving a $65,000 dog to a, a person that really just needs a thousand dollar dog. And this, how can we, how can we do better at that? We had this six, seven corpsman out of like Berkeley, California. He just wanted this little chihuahua so it could be in his uh, bike basket and everywhere he'd go, he'd carry this chihuahua with him and good on him. You know, like, that's great. You know, whatever it takes. Um, there's one guy, he was all set to try to pick a, a bigger dog and he walked out with a Cocker Spaniel. You know, when he went into the, and, and that's just how it goes, right? You, the dog picks us as much as we pick the dog. And that's what I've never liked about yeah. the traditional service dog or this so many companies will call me like hey we want to surprise a vet with a dog here and i'm like i don't do that we don't yeah. do that and the vet gets to pick their dog the vet and then we work out a plan and then that vet works with that dog um the majority of the time like 95 percent of the time the vet's working with the trainer in the training uh sometimes the dog might like so like loki i drop off tuesday morning and then I pick up Tuesday afternoon and the trainer goes through everything they worked with all day. And we do that for five weeks in a row. And then I have pop-ins or I have free tutorial for the rest of the time. And so that's all we need. Right. And, and I think part of the challenge of us working on how to communicate with our dogs and what it is we want to do is 90% of the therapy versus, you know, waiting two years and someone brings you this dog, this great dog, and yeah, they'll spend a week with you trying to teach you, but you're talking about a bunch of people that have TBIs, PTSD, you know, probably a lower social economic background, you know, probably struggled in school to begin with a little bit in some ways. And yeah, now you're going to take them to a traditional model and be like, well, here's your dog. You're all healed next. And, you know, that, that that's not, that's not all. And, and if you're only going it's yeah. antithetic to what you guys are doing. You think yeah. of the traditional model and there's, you know, th there's nothing wrong with that. Wrong. I think for the companies that do it, keep doing it. But like, yeah. I think not just based on my experience, but based yeah. on me talking to other vets and things like that is, you know, we've got very simple things that keep us stuck. It's a very like simple thought. Like I'm yeah. a burden, right? That was mine. Yeah. I'm a burden. Yeah. I'm not worthy. I am bad. It's, it's, it's that simple. And it's insane when you compare it down to the simplicity to that. And so then you come into my life, you tell me everything about how I'm supposed to do it. And you give me this highly trained dog that does nothing to fight my thought where right. instead, where you bring me into this and I start to learn that I can handle this dog. I have yeah. this thing that loves me. Like all of a sudden now it's, 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 it's fighting against everything that's kept me stuck. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's so, it's so simple and so powerful at the same time. And, and that's just, our, our mission is very simple. We want to help more vets and more dogs find their way home together. That's it. That's it. Whether we got to spend 200 bucks or $2,000, it all depends on what's going to be the best for both the vet and the dog and their families. That's the other thing we do differently is in a traditional service dog model, your families are not allowed to train with you. And we're like, no, at, at no time is that, ever going to be like really possible for again 95 percent of the population of vets even a lot of the ones that have the sixty-five thousand dollar dogs 
they don't use them to the capacity of which they were intended. And it's not to say it's bad, it's just to say that we just wasted a lot of resources um, that, that aren't needed. I mean, a lot of these dog facilities, they have underwater treadmills for these dogs, right? To build up muscle mass, to pull wheelchairs. But we've got all these great Segway type wheelchairs anywhere that most of the guys aren't using these dogs for that. And that's why they shifted to go towards PTSD. Well, if we're going towards PTSD, you don't need the $65,000 dog for PTSD, right? You can literally go to the pound, find a dog that fits for you, get a trainer, and we can build this curriculum. That's why we have Heidi Sigmund, you know, we have Mick Gillitzer, and then we have, you know, Derek Tillman and Tony Smith. So we have a clinical psychologist with 15 years at the VA and the FBI. Mick Gillitzer is two-time combat vet, has two masters, uh, was one of the first disabled, injured service coordinators stood up by the Marine Corps, veteran service officer, knows everything, VBA, whatnot. Then you got Derek Tillman and Tony Smith, both master dog trainers, both 20-year Army vets, combat vets themselves. Like, you build all this into it, then you got all these other dog trainers. You've got all these other dog communities out there. I mean, 70% of American homes have a dog in it already. So if I take that same math and put it to 18 million vets, probably 70% of them already have a dog. Well, the VA only services a third. They only service 30% of the total veteran population. Yeah, we get that's seven, actually one of the bigger problems for VAs. They can't get exactly. everybody to come in the house. So you've got the VFW that has, I think, 1.5, or no, excuse me, it's the American Legion has 1.5 million members and the VFW has like 750,000. Then you go down to like Wounded Warrior Project has 70,000, Simper Five Fund has 25,000, 30,000. Like nobody has any significant numbers of veterans. Like we're this, we're one of the most talked about segments of our society. And yet no one really fully represents all of us, not even the VA. And I think we can change that. And that could be powerful in and of itself. Because now we can start sending surveys right to our phones, right? Hey, what do we think about the PAWS Act? I think it's garbage that we're going to allow these companies to break into the VA money to pull it out for $65,000 dogs when we're only servicing 30% of our veterans with healthcare and not touching any of their families. My position is VA doesn't do anything with dogs until they service all the vets and then all their families medically then they can pitch into dogs if need be, but we've already proven that America, the companies, um, just general donations, people will get behind this mission. It's dogs and vets out of, especially even in 2020, I think the vast majority of Americans can agree dogs and vets are good. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, with the, like, um, the concept of VA or any of these, these massive institutions, like right. becoming the the hub for this particular thing is that like, I don't know that if that's how it works. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we're not diverse enough. We're not broad right. enough. We're not going to be able to move fast enough that I think that, um, are they beholden to a constituency at that point? Or are they trying to just make sure that on paper, it looks like the need has been met, you know, like, and I think you know this. Sure, yeah, it's, it's the way it was, it was. It was. It was built to be that way. If it's going to be yeah. a government institution, it's going to have to move at a certain speed because there's so much yeah. bureaucratic oversight, which is right. something we created intentionally. So maybe we don't give this 
this organization the job of, of seeing this. Like it's not out of the realm of possibility instead to create a bunch of requests for proposals. And instead let's, let's allow a bunch of people to come into the mix who have demonstrated some level of, of efficacy and that's in this, why this mission. Sierra Delta doesn't take any government money. It comes with too many red strings. It comes with too many political um, affiliations, which derail everything. You know, right now the VA is paying $2.1 million for 187 service dogs, medical care. Taking a moment of silence for that. Exactly. So, I mean, this is why we can't let the VA, I mean, it's not. It's not that the VA is bad. It's just that they're not, that's not their mission. That's right. But all these other service dog academies, they all want a doctor's note too, before they give a service dog. And I, surveyed every major medical college in this country not a single medical college teaches a doctor when a patient needs it when needs a dog so what are we doing you know I've, I've heard some of the service dog academy say well these dogs are just like your prosthetic bj and i'm like no it's not it's a living being my prosthetic is carbon fiber and steel if i don't feed it for a week i don't use my prosthetic for a week nothing bad happens right this is still a living animal, these dogs. And you can't just put them in a box like, you know, their medical equipment. No, it's a living being. And the relationship between the, the people and the dogs is where the therapy happens. And so all we're doing is putting the, giving them the resources to enhance that relationship. And then yeah, giving them, them something a, to like care about and, and yeah. get up for in the morning and, exactly. and live for again. Right. Like you said uh, earlier, I don't know if that was being recorded when we we're talking on the podcast where he was uh, talking about your football games. You're like, yeah, I broke another prosthetic. Like, yep. Whatever. Like, yeah. Because you don't, your you're dog, like, yeah, it's yeah, just dog, some yeah. material molded yep. for my leg, but this dog is going to be there for me exactly. and I get to be there for them. Exactly. I feel like if I was put in, in, in charge of solving America's problems, I would ask one simple thing and it's let's keep the, the people or the living things separate from the things. Exactly. And if we do a good job of that, I think that we're fine. When that's we start it. to treat them the same, we're, we're, we're off course. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that there's a lot of truth to be said in that. And, you know, I mean, we were all taught resiliency and leadership in the military and that's kind of why, you know, you remember the sucky situations the boast because that's when, you know, most of the time you're laughing the hardest. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, that's a funny you as shit. got to embrace the suck. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, we can take a little bit of that, take a little bit of the dogs, take a little bit of self-improvement, take a little bit of humility, you know, because one of the, the, the best parts is sharing our fails, right? Like, hey, and, you know, try to get the dog to do this today and she wasn't having like I put a video out of Sonora I threw a frisbee for her and she was sitting all nice and pretty she looked all excited I threw the frisbee she looked at the frisbee looked back at me and was like no <laughs> good throw dad I loved it it was a nice throw it again was, yeah, go get it dad <laughs> so my dog will humor me for about five or six fetches now that she's getting older and now, yeah. now she'll look at me and be like nah go get it yourself yeah. Titan will throw that damn ball all day. Except now uh, we're afraid he's got an ACL tear or something. Ooh. So he's been having to be super mellow the last few weeks and on a leash and all the 
cushions are off the couch. He's sleeping on the floor. He can't get on the bed. And it's like, I'm oh, sorry, man. dude. I, I swear, I really wish I could just let you hop in bed right now or let yeah. you go run around in the yard. Like, I haven't had to put you on a leash to take you to take a leak in years. But yeah. now this is what we got to do. Because if I let you go, you're going to go sprinting, make it worse on yourself. Yeah. And then, it's like, it's weird because I didn't used to care about anything this much. And now yeah. I'm like, all right, well, my lady's amazing. And this dog is awesome. And who is this guy I am now? That's, that's a good thing. It's I know. Team. It's just not what I was expecting to be. At. I've seen a lot of tough guys melt around a dog. Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, but, chill uh, inside. It's good. It, like you say, it's good for us. You know, like over time, I think we, we got to chill out a bit. You know, we, yeah. we don't, don't have to be so on guard. Um, you know, let nature take its course, per se. Yeah. I, I, it definitely is. And I think it's just the natural maturity cycle too um and but the dog does help the dog does help and you know their their lives are so simple and they help ground us in that simplicity um i heard a story about a six-year-old girl they're burying their family dog and one of the older kids asked like i don't understand why dogs don't live as long as humans and the little girl answered up she goes i know why and she said that dogs come into this world knowing how to love and humans take a little longer to figure it out, which I thought was pretty powerful for a six year. I've heard the, uh, the less uh, poetic way of talking about dogs and it's uh, lock your wife and your dog in the trunk for 30 minutes and then open it and see which one's happy to see you. That's right. <laughs> dog will always be happy. That's right. <laughs> and that's the, the story they give the Marine Corps. That's right. And and disclaimer, do not lock your wife in the trunk. Yeah. Make sure you put that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We do not want you to do that. We will not help you with litigation or, or otherwise. That is what used to be known in this country as a joke. When everybody yeah. would laugh and say, ha ha, that's funny. And not actually go do it or sue us for even talking about it. Yeah, sadly, somebody may be listening like, you know what? That'd be a funny, funny quote joke to play on my wife. No, we. it's not a joke to play on your wife either. It is just a joke to be sad. We should start a hashtag that's like funny, not funny, and just allow Sierra Delta to be tagged in all these videos. Oh, I'm kidding. Yeah. Don't bring yeah. that drama. He's like, wait a second. If Letterman brings me back and somebody's got something crazy on the funny, not funny hashtag, it's going to get brought up. Maybe not. That's <laughs> I, so, I mean, I, I, that's the other thing. We don't we don't censor our vets. Um, yeah. Our vets are allowed to say what they feel. Um, we had a, a one of our vets actually got arrested for not having his mask on in Menards, and um, had his dog with him and was very cool. Recorded a lot of it, and um, he quoted like you know having having his dog helped him navigate that situation in a way that he, he normally wouldn't and people are like why well, aren't you mad at him like and i'm like no well doesn't that bring bad light on sierra delta and i'm like not really not when you look at look at this guy in his own words said he would react differently had he not had that dog you know so no i'm not gonna tell you what you need to say you don't have to do anything for us if people don't want to put their picture out with their dog they don't have to like we're doing this for the right reasons. 
right? If you want to training for your dog and you don't want to do anything with us, I mean, yeah, we're going to be a little bit bummed out because we think we're pretty cool, but you know, we're not going to force you. But so far, most of all the vets have been more than happy to just post about their dog. They're doing it anyways. And now they just put hashtag my life buddy. You know, they talk about Sierra Delta and, and it's working. I think about the model of the dog and like, even you say that it's like the the thing that pops in my head is live in the present, you know, like so much of therapy is from my end, like providing therapy is how do, how do I help somebody live in the moment? How do I help them actually just enjoy the present? And like Brandon said, or kind of alluded to that joke is like, this dog is living in the moment. It's like, Oh, Hey, my owner, this is awesome. I get to see you again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how is that as for a thing for us is to be able to like take from this dog and live in its moment and be with that dog in its moment, get rid of the past, get rid yeah. of the future. Let's not worry about those right now. Right now, let's be here with this thing and and how much that can influence the way that we uh, react, respond, whatever you want to call it. Like maybe it wasn't perfect, but like it was good, you know, it was much better than, than us alone, just out there navigating the world on our own. That's right. And I think from working with professional dog trainers, that's what they tell you is that dogs are instinctual because they don't remember past a certain amount of time. So you kind of learn by learning how to communicate with your dog, you learn how to better manage some of the issues that you have in your own head, right? Like we've all done it, like, especially with text messaging. I hate it because it doesn't always come across, you know, how you intended, or sometimes you take things wrong, how somebody else intends it. And that's just not the way to be, right? Like sometimes we overthink things and dogs don't. And in the training, as the, the trainer is explaining to you why you need to be repetitive with your uh, routine and, and how you feed your dog and how you walk the dog, how you let the dog in the house and out the house. It's not a dominance thing. It's it helps the dog know where they fall in line because they're pack animals too. Yeah, yeah. And it helps you put more routine on you as well. And, and it just, it changes the way your brain works, um, which is different than what you can do with, you know, your wife or your husband or, or your best friend, because they are all processing their own thoughts too, in their own perspective versus the dog. Hey man, I'm here for you. Like, what are we doing now? We're, we're chasing this ball or we're walking. Um, oh, we're we're going, going to the bathroom. That's right. All right cool. Yeah. I'm it's like, the, I'm it's like the, the yeah. military, the, the military, I hate to say it cause it's going to sound odd, but like the military on its own exists without ego. There's egos within it, but on its own, it exists without it. And you get out in the civilian world and all of a sudden you create, like you mentioned the word dominance, which alludes to, I think some other trainers out there um, in their philosophies, but like, the, the, the relationship with you and the dog is this isn't about dominance. This is about roles. And this is yeah. about how we're going to navigate the world together as a team. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we miss when we leave the military is that, that it's not as, as, as simply defined or as clear. We don't understand because not everybody understands role relationship and how that affects, you know, the, the greater outcomes. And like, all of a sudden we start to get this and that's great because now we understand boundaries. We see them as a positive thing. You know, we understand that like, me telling you that this is where your role is that's not me saying you're incapable of this that's me saying like for us to work better together this is where we're both at and accomplish a lot of value to that yeah just mission first you gotta cut you gotta carry this i gotta carry that you're gonna do this you you know and we're gonna meet here do that and then beers at seven right you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but think of those situations in your life where you like go to hand something off and somebody gives you a funny look and then you're like then there's this weirdness to it the dog doesn't do that right you know it's funny because when um a couple of weeks ago there was another quasi riot slash protest in madison around the museum and me and uh an army guy a, a marine and i think two other marines so three marines and an army guy just walking down there, just getting eyes on the museum. And one of the guys had glasses on with the video camera. And I, I was looking at it. We literally met on a corner. None of us are ever served in the same unit. Um, but yet when you look at our dispersion, you look at how we always moved in two and two and we had each other just bump and cover without even talking about it, just doing it, right? That's almost what happens with... Like you were mentioning your dog, right? Like you haven't had him on a leash in so long. You get these certain routines down, even without training. But imagine with a little bit of tutoring and training and just tweaking here, how much better that relationship could be, right? And how much better that communication could be. And yeah, it's not going to, is it going to accomplish anything? Like you're going to go clear a room or are you going to, but over time, it just, it's those little things, right? that just makes it a little bit better. I mean, so much about our world is within that six inches between our ears, right? And it's our perspective. And, and I see that's what we're seeing in, in 2020 right now is that we have so many different narratives, so many different perspectives. It's not which one is right or which one is wrong or which one is dominant, but you know, how, how can we allow that perspective to exist without feeling uh, that it, it, it's infringing on our life or, or, or it's, it's cutting off that. And we've got to get past that pretty soon. And I think um, Sierra Delta is, is coming for a time for veterans right now when, when we, we, we're going to need it the most. This, uh, this uncertainty that we have in our society, I hope is temporary, but there's a good chance it could be extended. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it's never been more important for a, an organization like Sierra Delta to exist where we can kind of get all the men and women that I know are feeling like me and struggling with what's happening in the world and just kind of reground them, regroup, get them around other people like them and get them focused on something that every day you get up, you walk your dog, you feed your dog. You pet your dog, you play with your dog, you know, all this other stuff. It just helps to, to just help you take a breath and be like, all right, it's going to be all right. And if it's not, I still got my family. I still got my friends. I still got my dog, you know, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about um, with the quarantining and everything that everyone's yeah. had to do recently. Um, I know a lot of single guys that don't have family members. They don't live with yeah. anyone. They live alone. And I was like, that dog could literally be like a saving grace for them for just companionship in general, because commu that community online is amazing and it's great, but it can't beat a community when you can actually go out, meet and talk with people. And that kind of got taken away from us over the past year. So I feel like uh, a lot of the people out there would benefit greatly from having that companion at the house. Because let's be real, we all talk to our dogs. Like Absolutely. they understand uh, exactly. They're the best therapists in the world. Right. They listen and they always love you. And you're like, you're such an asshole sometimes, dog. Why did you shit? And the, yeah. they're just like, yeah, 
exactly yeah sure yeah. whatever you say boss like you like, never oh. sit somewhere you weren't supposed to right. right they know they smell it on you in another podcast i have a lot of stories for that <laughs> if only we had more time if only we had more time yeah yeah so this looks like a great opportunity for people to to reach out and, and hopefully get that kind of help and companionship and stuff in their life that they uh they could be missing and uh, this seems like a really great way to go about it. I think so. We're going to keep keep doing it and keep tweaking it and try to get as many vets um, in out of the cold as possible. And th- think of this, you know, Brandon brought up like the quarantine issue and stuff like that. And I think, BJ, you kind of alluded to like um, just the state of the state, you know, yeah. like things are funky right now. And um, we have no idea if this is short or long term. But I think the, like I'd like to push into hearing a little bit more about what you guys did with the Wisconsin Veterans Museum and like maybe I'll maybe I'll kind of umbrella it a little bit and say like for the for the uninitiated or or folks that don't live in Madison Wisconsin is the Wisconsin Veterans Museum is right down on the Capitol Square it's a very prominent building is a very beautiful space um, a well-respected mission I think in our in our area and um, because of the current uh you know, politics or like civil uh, issues that are at play, you know, there's been a lot of, of, of protesting, riots, looting, et cetera, in downtown Madison. And unfortunately, the, the Veterans Museum was a part of that. And um, the property was was defaced, painted, uh, you know, embellished a lot of perspectives for what was happening there. But I think ultimately what, what I came to understand is um, you and a couple other guys took on the mission of saying, Hey, this is this is kind of where we draw the line. That that this is a kind of a protected space. This this has nothing to do with the argument at hand, and that we're going to make an effort to make sure that we're going to protect it because one of the reasons we're going to do this is that it's it's not happening from those that maybe are 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 charged to do it politically. You know, those who maybe are in elected office or assigned to these positions to to protect this property aren't. And so. You know, like anything I've missed or, or, or misstated, feel free to correct me. But but tell us more about that. You know, George Floyd, um, when he was killed and it was videotaped uh, and it was killed by a law enforcement officer, that sparked off a lot. Right. But um, I think we all know that our law that the vast majority of our law enforcement officers and first responders are all great people. Right. What happened in that video was atrocious. Um, but I don't think that that sums up law enforcement at all but needless to say it it was tumultuous for our whole country including madison so like may 31st is i think when all the everything first kicked off and there's a lot of graffiti a lot of riots cop cars on fire stuff like that um a lot of the businesses downtown started saying hey you can paint on our building we don't want to cover your voice and all that, which is great. And the Capitol Police and the Madison Police took a stance that they weren't going to try to get involved with property damage and whatnot, just with every, how everything was. The museum was painted over. It was also part of a commission that allowed for these murals. And so the mural was up there for a while, and that was fine. We were talking about getting it off because there was also a lot of profanity up there and just a lot of stuff you just don't want to see it. It made, I thought it made Madison look terrible. Um, you know, they've done better cleaning up some of it and putting up street art 
but we didn't want any street art on the on the museum. Um, it's not to say that we were for or against any of the movement. It was just this museum has a mission. It has a message already, and it's not for anybody to put theirs on there. Um, the Wisconsin Department of Veterans Affairs. I mean, it's it's a bureaucratic office. It gets four and a half million dollars a year. I don't really know what it is that they do. Um, you know, I know they do take care of the, the homes, uh, the Wisconsin veterans homes, but I think there's a better way we can do that to save taxpayers. Anyhow, we wrote, we talked to, to the secretary. Um, she was unwilling to do anything. Uh, the, the museum board, the museum foundation board, nobody was willing to do anything. The building itself is not owned by the state. It's owned by a private entity and leased to the state for $750,000 a year. Um, and so we started working with the building owner and we started showing up and they had put plywood all over the building. And so what we would do is we would just show up every morning about 6 37 AM and clean up the night before graffiti. And we just kept doing it, we kept doing it, kept doing it. I started going on Facebook live and saying, listen, we're not here to fight you. We want to keep you know, honor on our museum. Uh, if you want to meet us and talk, we're here. Um, you know, we're, we're, again, we're not trying to cause any issues. And we ended up talking with Black Umbrella, which is a um, community-minded group uh, working to, I mean, they do a lot with the homeless there in Madison. They do a lot with getting people registered to vote. And, you know, they, they have a little bit more of a, uh, um, how can I put this, liberal sense that people shouldn't own property, right? And I disagree, but at the same time, we can agree to disagree on things. And it turns out, you know, five, six of those guys were vets too. We talked about how we, that's not what we wanted to do on our, on this museum. You know, every type of American is represented, not only in the Wisconsin Museum, Wisconsin Veterans Museum, but every veterans museum across this country. You know, um, so many different variety of people have worn the uniform and have done the job that needed to get done. And in some cases, you know, like the Tuskegee Airmen, it's a great story when you see, you know, in a time when racism was full-fledged, these men were given the worst airplanes, you know, the worst missions to fly, and they kicked ass. Other bombing pilots started requesting the Red Tails, requesting the Tuskegee yeah. Airmen and their shitty airplanes because they were getting the job done. And that's what I, those were the, the heroes that I've always looked up to, right? Because it's half the reason why I ran two marathons after being injured was the doctors were like, you're going to have trouble running. And I was like, well, I'm a chubby guy. I've always had trouble running. But now that you said it, <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. <laughs> so um, tell me I can't exactly. Right. It's like and a Marine Corps motto, isn't it? Like, don't tell me I can't life. with nothing. Exactly. You want us to do something? Tell us we can't. Yeah. You know, so I try to tell my wife, you want me to do something? Tell me I can't do it. Then I'll do it for sure. Yep. But um, so we ended up talking with them and, and um, man, we we're trying to come up with different ideas to, kind of bring the communities together. Um, and we're still having those conversations. Um, the state went after us. They tried to get one of the vets fired. 
um, who actually had a state job for talking bad about the state. Uh, but luckily that, that Marine, he was taking vacation every time he touched this museum pro project. And uh, we had some pro bono lawyers, but it's just been, it's been really nasty by our elected officials. Uh, and it's sad. It's really sad to see that, you know, it, it didn't take us any effort, really. I mean, yeah, it took some effort. It didn't take too much money. It didn't take, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't hard, right? Sit down, let's figure out what we can do. Let's figure out we can support each other. But hear me, please, don't paint this museum, right? And there was even times where like, you know, you don't understand. We put a lot of work into that art. It takes us all night. And I'm like, yeah, it took us 12 minutes to cover it up. So we can do this all day, <laughs> you know? And, and, it, and it got to the essence of it, right? You know, when I, I asked them flat out, you guys painted white supremacy all over the, the Veterans Museum. What did you mean by that? And what they explained was big government. And I'm like, we're on the same side. You know how scared big government's gonna be if they see us start working together to curb their power and their waste? You know, that's what we gotta get to as a nation, but it's gonna take everybody caring and everybody understanding that, you know, as much as they talk on these stumps that they're doing a lot of good work for us, they're I not. I feel like that's uh, one of the, the best things you guys have been doing is actually speaking with the community. Right. That seems to be one of the biggest issues is everyone's on Facebook and they just want to share the picture of the swastika that got painted yeah. on this one thing or the picture of a BLM that got painted mm -hmm. here on this, that, the other thing. But nobody's actually like, well, what, what are you so pissed off about <laughs> right here, right now? Like, what yeah. is it? Here's mm -hmm. how I'm feeling. Why do you feel that way? Okay. Well, that makes sense to me in this way. Now, do you hear, hear what I'm saying when I say yep. this? Yep. Nobody wants to do that because nobody can be wrong. Right. Everyone has to be right. No, yeah. my way is the right way. That's just the way it is. But like, no, no, humans suck altogether. You're all equally worthless. It's just how can we all be worthless in the best way possible? Well, let's, let's be real. We have the opportunity to be worthless or to be valuable right as humans right well, i mean putting not, value on on yeah. one person but saying someone else is worthless yeah. just be like no we're all the same level stop pretending like because of one little thing you're better than this person be like no yeah. we just talk talk and figure it out but nobody wants I, to do it i think there's a disconnect because like let's say we feel this way you know we who have served like we we don't feel the disconnect that's being polarized and in, mm -hmm. in the media and I think that like, um, you know, there's, there's a narrative that's being promoted that I think a lot of us fight against And this example, you know, that's why BJ that's, you know, this is ultimately what, what I, I was like, Hey, I, I want to get to know you. And then I found out everything else. And, um, yeah. um, but I, but I saw this and I thought like, what a perfect example of how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this big thing that's happening out there? we talk to people and we, we have compassion and, and we get to know each other, you know, like even as veterans, like with the dogs and stuff, you get to know each other and that makes things better. We talk to people that gets better. Um, and so by you, you guys making the effort to go down there and, and make human connections and learn about what people's experience were and share what your experience is like, then we realize we're, 
we're not as far apart. This isn't a people problem. This is a systems problem. Right. And in systems problems, we, we're learning how to deal with that, right? Like, like we approached uh, 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 the folks that we've put in charge of certain systems. We've gotten information and now we're going to do something different. I, I would think when it comes Absolutely. to the, oh, yeah. uh, with the folks that oversee the veterans museum and, and um, you know, that's, that's, that's my bias. I'll admit that uh, if, if folks promote that person, that's fine. I'm not going to get against you. That's, that's your right. And that's, yeah. that's what we all have. But, but I think that the fact that we're getting down to the nitty gritty with veterans and talking to each other um, people of color, people who maybe don't identify as people of color or people that are, that are white or Caucasian or whatever. Like the idea is that, that we're all Americans here in this country and they're like, right. let's figure out how do we close the gap together? And, you know, everything I've learned is that we close the gaps by talking to each other and taking the narrative away from whatever's trying to keep us right. apart. Exactly. And, you know, it's maybe it's hot to the moment, but Eric Church at the uh, the Country Music Awards, he kind of gave a speech and it was, I think it was good. It was, I don't know that it was perfect, but he talked about the idea that like politicians divide and music unites. And um, I think that like, maybe it's not perfect because you know not all pit politicians divide but like what's the path to us getting together it's up to us mm-hmm. it's not up to anybody else nobody's going to do it for us it's up to us to be able to lay the groundwork for that and so um for that seeing that image i was like man this dude is out there doing it like i would look forward to getting up in the morning and getting on facebook sitting on the toilet and looking and seeing like are we clean today or are we not clean today and i'm yeah. not talking about the back end it's i'm right. talking about the museum that's right. And and once I saw the days build up, I was like day six, and then day seven it was it was paints again. I'm like, shit, all right, well, let's see what happens here. And then all of a sudden we got up to in the double digits. Yeah. I'm getting and then I get excited. I'm like, all right, I'm just following this loosely from home. I've literally done nothing to promote this project outside of share it on my Facebook feed. Yeah. And and it was happening. And I think for me it was like it's so nice to see other people doing this stuff because this is where it yeah. happens. The magic happens with people. Right. And we got it done. It's not getting tagged anymore. Actually, the the state put up some stickers on one side of the wall. Uh, you know, and it, it, I mean, I, I see the intent of what they were trying to do. I think it came off really weird, but, you know, um, it came off as a bureaucratic. It was the bureaucratic solution to it was a tone deaf bureaucratic solution to a problem. And I, I don't know if it was tone deaf. I could be off the cuff here on that. But like. One of the people that was represented was my former VA commander, Carolyn Werner. And I'm yeah. proud of her for being represented yeah, on that. She's awesome. She's but awesome. I'm, and I think she probably would understand the idea that it's like, you know, what is it? November? It started in May. Yeah. It's a bit late, you know, like why didn't instead we hire these artists who are on the street painting at night and say, dude, we'll give you guys a grand each to paint this, emboss it, and then never touch it. And, and well, that's we'll help with that. We were so, but you guys did this and then all of a sudden this product was developed you guys so, mentioned they, i'm uh, on my social media feeds and i'm trying to fight it but at the same time i gotta stay out of it. it i told everybody like there's no sense in getting upset about it um i think we're still going to do a project uh actually i pivoted um we were going to do the tuskegee airmen first and then you know i started realizing all right tuskegee airmen weren't wisconsin vets right and i was trying to look for a story that everybody understood and, and and quite frankly the the community was really behind the the Tuskegee Airmen project as well um but they had called me I was in Connecticut and I had texted them when I'd heard and I was like listen I didn't know anything about this 
we're working to try to figure out our project is still a go as far as I can tell. Um, but they were ready to tear it down. They thought it was insulting. They, you know, and I was like, I know Carolyn that was, you know, um, honored on that. I was like, let's not tear it down. We're, we're trying to get past tearing stuff down. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're still going to do an, another project. We're working on, on some of the details, but part of me was thinking like, let's just have all the vets show up for like a Saturday at Camp Randall, right? We can social distance there. We'll get into bleachers. We'll mix everybody up, you know, all the different colors, all the different sizes and genders and all the and ages and take a big picture and then have the artist paint all those faces, the different types all along that other side of the wall, like an actual real life painting of Wisconsin vets, as many as we can get together at like Camp Randall. And I think that that could be powerful. And just underneath it, put one of the things that all the vets that, that we hang around with, golf company was my company that went to Iraq. Um, we have this thing called earn this, right? And we would put hashtag earn this dash unite underneath it because in the military you're thrown into a unit you don't get to pick the guys that you're going to serve with but you understand that they're essential to your survival so you figure out a way to get along with them even if you don't like them right in america we have it so easy now like people can actually pick and choose who they think is essential and who's not you know and you just look at just kind of how our political thing has de-evolved to where you're the worst person in the world if you're on the other side. And like, how is that? We can't go anywhere with that, right? Um, and we've kind of got to show, I think veterans have to show people, you know, what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan too, is not like we just went in there and kicked everybody's butt. We went in there and talked to a lot of people yeah. that were very different than us, that saw things very different than we did and, and lived a very different lifestyle. But I still keep in touch with my uh, interpreter from 2004. There's still a bunch of other Iraqis that, you know, through Facebook and other things we still keep in touch with. And, and those relationships mean something. And, and I think it's reckless with how bombastic and just full of shit kind of our news has gotten with anything whether it's history whether it's foreign policy whether it's what veterans go through right i can't stand the commercials that look like the humane society like the only thing they're missing is sarah mclaughlin <laughs> in the background like, touch of yeah we're we're not those people we still have a lot more to give uh, we have a lot more to offer our communities and our societies and um yeah i think there's issues that that are unique to us that we need help with, but we, we can't be not a part of the solution either. And that's one of the things that I don't like is that things are being dictated to the veterans, but on the flip side, I'm very worried about, you know, the 18 million vets that we do have becoming the next entitled uh, class of Americans. And we've got to really, yeah. watch ourselves we're on that slippery slope to where we need to help each other we need to organize our resources in the way that can efficiently and effectively help in the issues that we're facing 
but it has to be something that we believe in that empowers us, provides us purpose, you know, utilizes innovation and creates community. Because that's how we're going to get through it. You think of like that and you think of like, um, you know, political pawns and things like that, that I think the veteran population tends to become a bargaining chip, you know, who can better say they're serving this population. And I think if you survey the population, a lot of people would be like, I don't, I don't know that I want to be a part of this, you know, but we're never given, given the voice for that. And it's frustrating because like, we've got this uh, bipolar system of government at this point, like Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to call it that because that's what it feels like it's becoming like, where's the veteran on that? Like we've had very different experiences racially, culturally, um uh it's it's been very different and like when we come out of the military are we well represented i don't don't know that we are and and we're you know then we're forced into this situation where we have to uh to Mm -hmm. vote to make appearances on wedge issues or whatever and and um you know someday i hope something different happens or you know like you say like we're not going to get anywhere by sitting down like the changes that have to come out of us in the world right now we can't sit still. Like we're, we're actually a very massive population. And if we get organized, like you guys got organized in a very microscopic view of a thing and, and we're very successful in that, if we get organized on a, a larger scale, then I think that we, our voices will be heard. You know, you think uh, yeah. uh, there's, there's one thing that, that the executive branch can't seem to mess with and it's veterans. You can come into office with all, all that you want to change, but I guarantee you, you're not going to change a thing on veterans issues because we're well lobbied for, we're well organized. If we can continue to get more organized in some of these issues, then I, I'm, I'm hopeful that hopefully we can lead us out of this. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think we're gonna need more vets at the local level. Um, yes. You know, I, I think the, the one thing that I think has been clear to me for the past seven, eight years is what I've been saying is we are the last of the samurai. Um, you look at what Fort Gordon's doing and investing in, you know, cyber you know, fighting cyber terrorists. And, and I really think we got to start looking at putting a lot of our law enforcement off the streets into cyber. Um, the, the battlefield, the analog battlefield is gone. There's no more, there's not as much money to be made, quite frankly, on those battlefields anymore as there is in this whole information wars, digital wars, cyber wars, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, when you look at our population, again, we've only had 3 million people deploy overseas since 9-11, right? I mean, again, 18 million veterans, 12 million are 55 and older. 4 million of that 12 million is 75 or older, you know? So in 10 years, you're only going to have 10 million vets, right? And you're probably going to have close to a half a billion people in the country we're at 365 million in the in the country right now so eventually you're going to have to see for me i don't see any other way to get nationalized healthcare unless you give the va system over to civilians which i'm all for i mean if everybody wants socialized medicine take the va which has the highest suicide rate has the highest you know morbidity rate has the um the, the, the highest, least best outcome outcomes <laughs> in their system, you know, and then that way, as the veteran population shrinks, you know, you can grow that infrastructure to meet the demands of the underinsured or uninsured. And then you can start the United States Domestic Health Corps underneath that where people can get out of high school 
um, or come in out of the street and sign up for a job in the United States Domestic Health Corps, you get trained and then you get deployed anywhere in the United States territories where they need a radiologist or a orderly or everything else, you know, but we're going to have to start get comfortable with we are going to have to do a lot more on our own for veterans because a lot of this money is going to dry up because we're not as strong as we used to be. And in five years, we're going to be even weaker. And in 10 years, we're almost going to be not as relevant anymore. And you're already starting to see it. Everybody else is a hero too, which is fine by me. I'm not mad about it, but which is fine. I never really saw me as a hero either. I joined the Marine Corps because I was kicked out of college and <laughs> did not make it to my mom. Sorry, got, mom. Yeah, I got drunk and watched Legends of the Fall and thought I could be Brad Pitt. So I joined the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's it. But before that, you be watched it. Yeah, before that, you watched Brad Pitt fly fishing and decided you were going to duplicate the drinking and fighting. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it worked out. The Marine Corps has lived up uh, exactly the billing. So yeah. a lot of drinking, a lot of fighting. So you know, I tell you, going, going back to what you were saying about community, go ahead, Brandon. Um, it, so I was having this conversation with another buddy of mine. We were talking about how little, well, it was, it was the, the presidential election was the big one yeah. going on. And then all these people saying it's the president's fault that this and that happened. And I'm like, do you even know who your state rep is? Like, do you know who's responsible for these things that you're talking about right now? Who did you vote for, like, in your state? Well, I didn't vote for any of them. Like, exactly. So right. it, it's it's seemingly more obvious now than ever that you can't trust any of the government anymore to do basically anything. It's going to come down to you, your community, and what you can do to get their attention focused on this. It's always been that way, though. It, right. that's, the way it's always, that's the way it was supposed to work. Um, and somehow along the way, we got lazy. We got complacent. Exactly. That, well, we oh made, it a, that's my we made it a career. You know, it used yeah. to be that government service was a, a, a part of your life. You know, like, uh, find me any city alderman that is only a city alderman. You know, if you look in, inside that, very few. I wouldn't find a lot in Madison. You know, and then all of a sudden we've created this track, whether in part of the legislative branch where people are serving these really long careers. Yeah. I don't, you know, the House of Representatives is definitely not tooled for that with two year election cycles, but like the Senate and six, even like that's, man, I thought six years, maybe it's time to cycle out or things like that. But we've created this, well, this you look expectation. At, look at like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. They both have been there. I, I've told people all the time, I love John McCain and John Lewis. They both stayed too long. Yeah, You know, I mean, it's supposed to be, I mean, that's where I think our biggest problem is, is that we haven't had enough diversity in there because we don't have enough turnover. It's no longer a people's government, right? The, the, yeah. It's it's not a people's government. And so like, I think that like, if veterans want to get solutions, start to get into government and start to like, like cycle through these positions, you know, whether you start yeah. in some way, shape or form and cycle through up, but like, you know, what are, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit at the couch and bitch at the TV? Or are we going to well, actually get in there and create some change? You have to look at, out of all the great people we know, how many of them are running for office? Because you can do more good influencing the people essentially there to make the vote. 
Good you point. know, one of the things I don't understand is why they have to be in D.C. If the rest of us can be virtual, let's bring all those people back. They can do the D.C. meetings virtual. Make them work in their communities instead of living in D.C. Um, you know, it's it's there's a lot more to, that has to get done, but the amount of money um, and, and, you know, those government contracts, I mean, once you get them, you get to, you, you sit on them and it's, uh, that, that's it's where it's all, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's bigger than us, but that's the one thing that I keep trying to, um, reiterate. That's why we started Sierra Delta is to take care of all the vets. We're, once yeah. we take care of all the vets, then we can spread out and worry about other populations, but sure. we've got enough to do with these vets. Um, and, and I truly believe if we focus on ourselves and make our community better, that just like when I focused on myself at my lowest point, everything else around me got better. It's not yeah. selfish to build on no. your potential, right? Because you can only, it's just like in the military, if you don't PT on your own and you only PT when, with, with yeah. whenever your unit has to PT, you're going to be the weakest link. Yep. So it, it's, it's that finding that balance right you also don't want to be that annoying meathead that's always in the gym and is always doing you know look at me you know like great buddy we're gonna go do a keg stand now because yeah he's over yeah. <laughs> like, yeah okay dude whatever so you get a 300 cft a 300 pft and you still can't make tape right exactly next too big calm down right. man you won you beat the gym Okay, exactly. go do something else now. Do something else. But I mean, to each their own. But at the same time, you know, that's where we try to find a way to where we can make room for all the vets, right? Because we all know that we're just as diverse as the country, right? Like that's that's the one thing is that I try to get people to stop thinking about vets as this hive brain community of people. And we're, you know, we've got our 10% assholes and our 10%, you know, superstars. And then the rest of us are just mutts that one day we're good and one day we're bad. You know, it's just, just how it goes. And, and, and that's okay. You know, um, I confuse the, uh, the active duty people with the veterans. I'm like, well, when you're in, what's well, a whole different mindset when you get out and you're trying to figure out how the world works with you not being a part of that anymore. And like, well, now where do I fit in? So now exactly. there is this, vast variety of people and and attitudes and thoughts right. and all those other things compared to no you're in the marines and i don't care that you feel that way i told you to go do this and you're like okay. oh yeah that's right because <laughs> i i corporal or something like, right cool yeah and, and and i mean that that helps us but it also it scares civilians like i've been told plenty of times you were like it's hard to work around you're too intense and i was like intense like I'm probably the most chilled, laid back guy I know, but I just, I want to get, get it done. Yeah. Uh, whatever it takes, let's get it done. Yeah, passionate, right? Yeah. Passionate's the nice word. Yeah. So looking at these things, like, you know, I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of focus back and talk about like, how the hell did you get to all this? You know, like local stuff being involved, creating this program that's, that's got national appeal and doing these things like, who was BJ when he was just some little nerd in high school? Right. It's funny. My grandmother just died. Um, she's 99. I mean, you couldn't live a better life than what she did. And she was an amazing woman. But she kept one of my speeches uh, from eighth grade. And 
somebody took a picture of it and sent it to me and I put it out there and it, the speech I gave is why put kids first. Um, and in eighth grade, I didn't even realize it. I remember giving, I think I took second place, but um, you know, I read my words from eighth grade me and it's, you hear a lot of still me there, you know, yeah. um, but I was a rebellious kid. I was uh, I was a punk. I mean, I still kind of am. And, um, but um I still always, even if I was doing something wrong, I was doing it, you know, in, in a noble way. I would, yeah. I would try to be, you know, good intentions, know. good yeah, trouble, good, as John yeah, would put it, good trouble. Yeah. But, um, and I've always, I've never really been afraid to fail. Um, never really been afraid to try something and not be good at it. Um, and I can't stand not getting involved. Like one of the, my wife, like when we were around somewhere and there's an argument at, pops up like i'm using one of the first people to get in there for no other reason he probably hates it. I like playing devil's advocate. yeah exactly i'm just argue to argue with you why can't you just stay out of it I, I don't know i don't and even like the museum she's like what are you gonna do save the whole world and i was like i don't know i'm gonna try <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like you're trying to save the whole world but i saw like it just looked easy to me like it looked like this this is a miscommunication it really was it's it was complete pandemonium and it still is in Madison. Um, and you, you just can't govern that way. And it's not like you need to bring in the fire hoses and, and, and the SWAT teams, but someone's got to be willing to go out there and just be like, Hey, uh, what's the problem? Like, I really can't figure out why everybody's so angry in this country. We have, it's so, there's never been a better time to be alive than right now, even with this quote unquote pandemic happening. Um, we've got every everything we could possibly need at our fingertips we just have to be willing to to do our part and that's it you don't have to be a hero just do your part even eighth grade bj must have had some inclination this shit was happening (laughs) yeah you know it's it's just get out there and live you get one turn that's it one turn on this this weird blue marble and you yeah. might as well try to do as much stuff as you can and kick back. Cause I can kick back with the best of them too. And just take all day on the couch, watching Netflix with Sonora. You know, I'm not always out there running the trails with Loki. I got, I got a lazy, lazy dog too for yeah. snowy days, you know? So then what the hell, like did some Marine recruiter get a hold of this letter or did like, how did, how did that happen? How'd you end up in the Marine Corps? Literally, um, you know, I went to a military high school. Uh, it's called Benedictine Military College in Savannah, Georgia, is where I grew up. Ooh, okay. I was kicked out my junior year for disciplinary issues and then let back in my senior year. Went to Georgia Southern on the Hope Scholarship, which is what um, the state of Georgia had with its lottery program, right? And uh, was politely asked not to come back after my first year posting like a 1.1 gpa um so i uh literally watched legends of the fall got drunk with my roommates and decided the next day the recruiter actually called and i was like yeah i'll stop by stop by sign the papers i was like i want guaranteed infantry and (laughs) he was like oh man let me see i might be all in all in all in send me away and uh yeah so i went in in 96 and got out in 2000 
uh, moved up to Wisconsin. Uh, my first wife was from Wisconsin. And uh, um, so I moved up here, got a job with Nabisco, which was bought out by Kraft Foods, but I stayed in the, the Ready Reserves, an infantry uh, battalion golf company right there in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, actively drilled with those guys until we were activated in 2004, go to Iraq. And then Thanksgiving night of 2004, three 155 Russian-made artillery shells were tied to a tripwire as my 13th IED. Uh, that one killed my gunner, Ryan Cantafio, instantly cut his jugular, uh, got over the neck protector, and um, obliterated my left foot and put a bunch of shrapnel everywhere else. And uh, three other guys were injured, but they were able to return to duty. I was the only pussy that had to go home. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. Well, it's because you couldn't walk. Yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's walk it back a bit. Jesus, man. You just covered a lot of landscape in about two minutes. Yeah, They're like, I want to come back to that when we, when we, we'll come back around to this. You took off, you took, you took off four years of active duty time. Was there nothing that happened there? You know, it was, um, it's funny. I got, um, I had some great duty. Um, it, it, it didn't turn out to be like your normal. Somehow I got selected to go to Quantico. Um, and then I ended up working there as a, was called Com Demo. And so we helped the officer candidates learn infantry skills. So it was literally like, you know, in boot Daycare camp. center? Uh, pretty much. Well, it was, you know, in boot camp, they would get, they would just pick like, you know, a random guy to run the, the obstacle course and show you how to do it. Right. Yeah. So we were those guys for the officers. So we we're like, actually like PFCs and Lance corporals were getting paid and we were trained. Like we had to actually practice. We had to clean the, the all the different um, courses and whatnot. We were over at TBS every now and again to be up for. So it was actually kind of fun. Um, made a lot of connections. And then I was supposed to go down to, uh, Lejeune and join up with um, three seven, I think I can't remember, but I got diverted to um, LAR as a scout, and I was with them for a year or so. And then um, when I made the decision to get out instead of re-upping, they were on their way to a, a deployment, and so I got left behind because I didn't re-up, and you know I wouldn't, and so I got put to uh, yeah. the G six. And so I started working with the JTWAS system and helping to get other um, units ready for the MUSE. So the JTWAS system was this big op four. We put all these officers in Connex boxes. All the other Marines would be out in the field operating and we would be running all the, the computer simulations, right? And so uh, I wrapped it up with that. And so I got, um, I had a lot of special duties that, you know, just kind of fell into ass backwards. Um, and then I just went into the reserves and at the reserves is where I got deployed all over the place and went to a bunch of different schools and, and did a lot more of that kind of stuff. So it, it, it was definitely interesting. Um, um, you know, the nineties was way different. So under Clinton, we, we did, we couldn't even get uh, blanks. So when we go to the field, we're literally uh, like, pew, 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 pew. you know, it's just, I got you. No, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And 
like no equipment, none of the equipment worked. It was just um, a bunch of bad miles gear. Yeah, that was when everybody's like, yeah, we're never going to have war again. So let's just run down the military. And then the towers went down. And that was my daughter. Dude, where were you? Where was that at? I was in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, my daughter was born um, eight weeks premature. She was only like two pounds on yeah. September 1st of two, of uh, 2001. So I was in, I was sleeping on the, in the hallway outside of the ICU and a nurse woke me up saying that a plane had flown into a, the build, uh, the world trade centers. And I was like, what asshole didn't see the, like, I thought it was a Cessna. I was like, what asshole yeah. didn't see the world trade center? How'd you and miss the giant building? buildings? Yeah. And saw it. And I remember calling first Sergeant Christian, like, Whoa, when are we going? And uh, he's like, you know, hold on, stay close to the phone. We'll figure it out. But, yeah, I, I mean, I remember that day I would go in every every day and feed. I would hold my daughter and she would sit in the palm of my hand and I would feed her with a feeding tube. And uh, just knowing that, shoot, we're going to be going, you know, with this. And uh, we ended up doing it. So, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it seems like a million years ago, but at the same time, it can – it seemed like just yesterday. Too. Yeah, same, same, same. Yeah, yeah it's crazy yeah. how that works. You know, it's like like uh, you look at these landmarks. They talk about like the space shuttle and things like that. Where were you when? And yeah, and clearly nine eleven is a, a profound moment for a lot of us. And uh, it's weird. You know, I've shared on this podcast before. I I worked at a motocross track for motorcycles off road and stuff like that next to a nuclear plant in Byron, Illinois at the time and i remember my boss called me from milwaukee he was in town for a brewers game and he's like hey did you see the news and i was like uh no i'm you're paying me not to watch the news and he's like watch the news and if anybody comes and needs to borrow four wheelers whatever it is to secure the nuclear site do that and i was like shit so i watched news quick got my heads on and then I took a four-wheeler over to the property line. Sure enough, there was a suburban blacked out in the corner. And I'm like, nope, we're going back <laughs> to work. <laughs> yeah, for this sure. Was on, yeah. This was back in 2001? Yeah, 9-11. Oh, one. All right. Well, I'll show my age here. Uh, I was coloring. got told by my sixth grade teacher <laughs> to stop looking out the window. And she just closed the blinds. And that was what we did. Yeah, and my then, dad actually woke us up, and he was making us watch the news, and we ended up going to school anyways. But yeah, sixth grade, the principal yeah. wheels in the TV to the classroom. Yeah, right. like, All right, guys, like this Here you is go. There's some shit it. going down. No, they You're were. Right. I, I don't understand the like looking back on it. I'm like, I don't understand the mass like hysteria that started happening. Like, did they assume that just all the planes were going to do it all of a sudden, or like what? But I'm like, we're a bunch of sixth graders in Washington state at that time. And our teachers are like closing blinds and stuff like, oh, I didn't realize the blinds was going to stop a plane, but well, sure. Obviously you didn't watch red Dawn. Yeah. The first, not one. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I should have studied more. Well, it's because I was in sixth grade. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. We were like 12. Hadn't, yeah, yeah. I hadn't watched it. Yeah. So you know, I, mean, I remember feeling the moment my gut dropped because I was like, I just graduated high school, right? I'm still 18 years old. 
and I kind of had like my Pat Tillman moment where I was like, I have to go. Like I had other things I kind of planned to do, but they weren't good plans. I had a girl I was with, but it was, you know, it was, it wasn't sure what it was. It was a high school thing. And then like, all of a sudden I just, I, I felt this, uh, that's probably where for me, like patriotism started. Mm-hmm. I don't know that prior to then that I, I knew what it was, or I didn't have like a strong family history of, of yeah. service. Yeah, My dad served, but like all of a sudden, then all of a sudden I felt something and I had to respond and my brother then joined. And then all of a sudden, like very quickly, I started to, to figure it out and piece it together and, and man, how quickly you can really start to, to love your nation, even as quickly as you, you'll learn about it in basic training. Yeah. And I mean, even with, I'm sure there was, you know, obviously some bad things happened. I mean, if you read about the black hearts, that was awful, but for the most part, everything I saw, you know, even from all the other countries that were there in the, in the coalition forces, everybody was there trying to do, doing their best to, to, to leave it in a better spot. And, uh, you know, that, that's where I always try to take with, I mean, I was in Walter Reed when um, they opened up the closed halls, right? And there was all this news about it. And I was, I was there going like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like we, in, in Vietnam, if they got you while you were breathing, you had like a 48.7% chance of survival, right? So they, they estimated about a 65, 70% survival rate. In these two wars, if they got you while you were breathing, you had a 98% chance of survival rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have five quadruple amputees from this war that should, by all means, should not be alive. Totally. You know, there's so many people. And, you know, and still to this day, like, people will ask me, like, whoa, wasn't it awful? Like, Bush didn't think to, to have all these other uh, hospitals open and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, actually, that's they we the military exceeded expectations yeah um, by we're always fault. open right we're always open yeah. by default we're ready at any given moment yeah and, and what we did not only was the forward medicine really way better but everybody was a combat medic i mean all those those courses we did and everybody poking themselves to know how to do ivs know how to do tourniquets <laughs> that's what saved everybody was you weren't waiting for a med like and I love my Corman's and, and, and I'm sure everybody loves their medics too, but the medic and the Corman can't be everywhere, especially when like, after we got hit, I got hit with that IED, there was a small ambush, right? That's was, triage, man. That's yeah. triage in a nutshell. And so um, it's just, and it just goes to show, like, I just want to go shake whoever the editors, whoever finalized, whoever has the final say as to what gets aired on our nation's media is they're all assholes because they're missing the better story every single yeah. time. And so what years were you in? Like, when did you guys get called up? Where'd you guys go? So 2004, um, we were called up, you know, we went to Pendleton three, four months, get ready. And then we went to um, Mamadia um, was the forward operating base, St. Mike's right there. Uh, but my, my platoon, we were supposed to be out under the bridges for like nine days and we just stayed out there. So we lived underneath the bridge. We patrolled out of there. We went and took Ludafita, Ludafia and um, my, the whole company, golf company built up that uh, forward operating base there. And then 
I think second platoon was over in Yusufia for a while, fought at the potato factory. Um, and we were all over the place. And, you know, it's 2004, so it was a little bit more of the wild, wild west back then. Um, first Fallujah, second Fallujah was all going on. Uh, we weren't that far away from it. And, uh, but I mean, I was only there for what, three and a half months before I got injured. So it seems like it was longer, um, but I didn't make the full deployment. You know, that that's what really bothers me. And I know rationally it's, you know, it shouldn't bother me, but, but it does. Right. And, uh, um, and that's one of the things that I've really taken to the different groups that I've run and, and, and all the things that I do is trying to understand. It's not the obvious. It's not like, so it's not like my leg, my leg doesn't like, there's times that I get up and I totally forget that I'm missing a leg and I'll friggin' bust my ass getting out of bed. Right. Just totally <laughs> forgot. Oh yeah. I got to put yeah. a leg. Right. Shit, my man. <laughs> but that's Whoops. not really the issue. Right. It's the, it, it, there's so many other issues that, that, just like you were saying, like, you know, you feeling less than or whatnot. You don't know how those tracks come up in your mind and they're really hard to kind of get out of on your own. And it can even be worse with other people trying to do it for you. Right. So you got to find that balance of being able to allow that person enough room to work out their own issues, but be there in a, in a supportive way. Uh, and I've just been able to, it's funny because as good as I am with vets, I suck with my wife sometimes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, it's a whole uh, different ball game though. It's a whole different ball game, right? Um, this is a random question. Uh, have you talked with or, or met with anybody from like circle of change or anything like that? Circle of change. I don't think so. Okay, so this is a, a random bit. It was uh, the first organization that I got introduced to when I was first going through all my dark time stuff and I was at sure. the VA. Um, what it was is essentially a program where people would bring their dogs to like a doggy daycare for a certain period of time, but they were dogs that had issues, kind of like yeah. stranger danger or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The whole purpose was to bring veterans that were struggling with stuff yeah. And then so you you would work on that connection. I was just curious if you had uh, any affiliations no, or, or worked with I'll them on anything. If you know anybody, I'll reach. I mean, the way I built I Sierra I Delta, we, yeah. uh, we made it so it's plug and play. So like the Semper Fi Fund, we partnered with them. And oftentimes they'll buy dogs for the vets that meet their program. And then we help to train it. Um, right. You know, some vets really want a certain breed or, you know, there's other breeders out there that will give dogs to vets. You know, we've really focused in on the rescues and then you're kind of on your own to get a dog, but we'll help kind of steer you where we can. Um, so I think that might be the bridge is that circle of change might give people the idea and yeah. then where do they go with the idea is to you. And right. so that's where I see the bridge circle of change. They exist between Madison and Rockford, Illinois. That's yeah. kind of their space that they operate okay. in. It's actually yeah. technically Roscoe and Fitchburg. Yeah. but um so they they one night out of the month is kind of what they've done is repetition in each space they bring the veterans in bring the dogs in veterans work the dogs for a couple hours and talk yeah. about it take some pictures and do a thing yeah and so it it's good be because weekly like, which was what was nice is every yeah, every thursday, every thursday. Night, i knew that i was going in and i got to deal with 
this giant St. Bernard that I had to first get introduced to by like feeding it through a cage. We couldn't let the dog out of the kennel because yeah. it would have been in my face, but yeah. build that trust up. And the reason I found out about them was because that other organization that I mentioned way earlier that was just like, here's a dog. Right. Well, now what do I do? Right. They're like figure it out. Right. So after doing my research, I found Circle of Change. So it's it's nice to see that there's so many organizations, but yours seems to be uh, uh, bits of all the other ones and starting to build higher and higher. Right. And, uh, it's like the, that business standpoint where competition is good. I'm hoping that yeah. somebody sees what you guys are doing and not that I want you guys to do any less good than you are now, but I want someone else to want to do better than you to just yeah. keep bringing that. That's what it should and be. Drive to everyone and yeah, good in the community and help right. for all these vets. You know what we got planned for in in, in twenty twenty two and twenty three is we think we can have the um, you know full on camping things going where we'll, we'll hike with our dogs, camp, yeah. you know, do the whole campfire therapy type things, get some family retreats. I mean the Sierra Delta uh, games where we have the obstacle courses and dog. We have dog walks. Uh, we were supposed to launch all the dog walks this past year, but COVID canceled everything. Uh, we lost, with all of our events being canceled by COVID, we lost uh, just over $2 million conservative estimate, you know, anywhere from 2 to $3 million. But, you know, it's just what you have to deal with. But um, there's really no limit, especially if you can, for, for me at least, is trying to understand, all right, when we make this investment, and that's the other thing I try to get to the through vets, is that this isn't a handout, this isn't charity, this is an investment. And the people that gave up this hard-earned money willingly, they need to see a return on that investment, right? They need to see you getting better. You know, how many times have either we've gone to a, a, a retreat or gone to something that was for vets, and you didn't come away any better? Like, we can put a lot of the blame on the program, but we can also put some of that blame on ourselves, right? Cause you gotta be open and willing to change. And you gotta and, hold yourself accountable. Exactly. Exactly. So, and that is one of the scariest things that I see is how the VA is set up with the benefits, whether it's true or not, there's a, there's a, a high proportion of vets that believe that if they get better, they'll lose the services that they'll get from the VA. Now I don't believe that, but it's um, but it is also how the VA is set up. Like just to get your benefits through the first time, you have to tell them your worst day possible. Yeah. And then even still, you're probably going to have to fight it to get it to the appropriate level that meets the code of federal regulations. That's just that to me, it's not a very good system because even the way it works right now, the best case scenario you put in a claim the best you can hope for is nine to 11 months when you get a decision. And that to me, I mean, this it's too simple, right? Again, let's just, we've got these supercomputers, you got all this artificial intelligence, feed them the information. Let's take care of more people, not less people. Um, and you do that by getting rid of the bureaucracy and, and putting the resources right to where they need to go, right? So. Sierra Delta, let's just get training on dogs, even if they already have existing dogs, right? Because that removes so much more of the hassle, the liability, all this other red tape, and we get right to 
let's just, you know, we invest $800 into this guy and his dog. And three weeks later, they're, they're great. Right. Or we, you know, we spend 3000 and we, it goes over two years, but at, they're getting better each time. And then at the end of it, they're great. And they're continually looking for other challenges to do together. That that's again, shows that return on investment, that it's not just a good picture. It's an ongoing story that people will follow. I mean, just like you were talking about the museum, right? I mean, I learned, I'm actually thinking about starting my own podcast that, and I'm, I'm not trying to copy you guys or the other 14 billion people. Yeah, that are like, <laughs> a podcast, yeah, I mean, but Joe Rogan doesn't know it, but we did it first. We just had, right. <laughs> he's obviously doing it better though. I think he's got yeah, like what, 15 right. million followers or something. Yeah, hundred million dollars Spotify deal that who knows what's going on with that. Yeah. I mean, good on him. I mean, part of the aftercare plan is like, like creating this living body of work that can continue to move and share and, and right. let people know how people are doing across right. like, uh, you know, some long, longitudinal space. And like, that's, yeah. That's where podcasts. If you think about it, our feed, so the whole app, it has a store where all vets get. We're going to be launching the affinity program um, on Black Friday, so you'll be able to see where all vets will get discounts, and then vets in the and the program get access to other you know prizes and whatnot through the game. And we're trying to figure out if we can open up to all the vets. We just want to make sure that we can afford. the prizes and be able to, to monitor it correctly. But, you know, if just getting people involved in something and have them follow it, but if you think about that feed, it's, it's nothing more than a Facebook type platform. That's just about vets and dogs yeah. doing better in life. It's a forum, it, you know, it's a space. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's advertising around there. Again, we put games and then that runs all the programs. Like, Rook's place is the, is the pet store and a hundred percent of the proceeds that we have from that pet store go back to run the programs. So again, if we can get every, you know, more people to just shop Rook's place to get their pet goods, we can afford to get more training to vets for their dogs. And then they get on the system and they share about it. People feel better. It's an ecosystem, sustainable ecosystem that you know utilizing the driving traffic to get more and more eyes on what it is we're doing doing the the show like if you go the jeep giveaway show so when you search that it's about 40 minutes long um what would somebody what would somebody search for to find that um if you just go to my facebook page or you go to sierra delta's facebook page or north american motor cars facebook page we did it as a live it should be up on youtube here pretty soon on sierra delta's youtube page um uh it will be up on bj ganim's life on the good foot which is my little youtube page there subscribe today just saying yeah exactly so thank you that subscribe button right in the corner of the video that's right i gotta get more content up there i've kind of been just uploading you know the david letterman interview the all the different super bowl stuff the fox and friends uh you know all the different jazz and then but yeah, I'm going to start getting some more original content again. I'm going to, we're going to make life on the good foot an actual um, podcast, hopefully going towards a show. Um, 
where we just try to highlight veterans. Let us know, here, let us know how we can help, man. Yeah. We're all in to, to help you get that thing going. It's you clearly have everything it takes to make it work. So yeah, I'm gonna probably pick your brains on how you guys do it and all that good stuff. And I don't know, we'll figure it out, right? Um, there's only like two areas that like before we wrap up that I might want to tap into if okay. you got a few more minutes before you sure, wrap is like um you know so like we we alluded to like your injury and things like that and um you know I I was a combat medic for my unit and I evacuated guys in the out of country and they went through lawn stool and yep. eventually over to whatever facility was going to have them and so like if you want to dial us into how that process was for you like I got lucky one of the one of the clearly some guys weren't going to make it. And uh, I remember hearing back on a guy that we put a lot of work into and he did. And I remember for me staying in country, how gratifying that was and, yeah. and how, how nice the news was to hear that he was going to still come out of it. And so maybe take us through that for the people that, you know, put somebody else, you know, on that, that line of triage and how it worked out. You know, it's interesting because in November 8th of 2004 um, is when, we had a huge aerial bomb buried underneath the road and it took out one of our vehicles that had um, Simon and Cruckton and Ramey O'Donnell and Warns. Uh, Ramey O'Donnell and Warns died that day. Um, Simon took a while. He died in hospice about seven, eight months later. And Cruckton was put on the, on the helicopter and I thought for sure he was going to die. And then I got hit in, on the 25th. And then I did, you know, that night <clears throat> the explosion went off. And so I would, it was a bright moon. Um, so I had had my MVGs kind of hanging around my neck. Cause I don't know if you remember yeah. lights off with the bright moon, just with all that sand, you can see like it was daytime. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I drove. Yeah. I would just bring up my MVGs every now and again. And I remember seeing the flash and then feeling the boom uh, caught um three shards of glass from the side view mirror in the left eye i had a big piece of shrapnel right in the sappy plate um so it was soft hum hummers we didn't have up armors or anything God, see that sucks yeah uh, no i had an up armor for like a week and i turned it back in because you couldn't do anything on the canal roads with them they would just sit right down so um my actual right leg hurt worse i had shrapnel that went in through the calf when I went to get out of the vehicles, when I saw like my boot was all open, toes going wrong ways and all that stuff. And then um, went to step down and just fell right, right to yeah. the ground. You know, there were shots coming in. So um, the QRF responded fine. It was a cold night. And so Doc Munoz, you know, he's cutting away. I've got shrapnel here and there and there's blood coming. He's got to make sure everything's good. Get a tourniquet on the leg and stuff like that. And I remember just laying on that friggin' asphalt freezing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had some Blackhawks circling around, but they couldn't, they weren't going to land them. In they refused, a right? That's the worst. I remember as a medic, I could never get a fucking medevac. I had to take everybody to Abu Ghraib prison before they'd pick them up. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you got to look at, you don't, I mean, a high value target is that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, what are we, 45, 50,000? You know, that's, you know, 50 million. So you got to see. So I got trucked out and Echo Company was trucking us out and they were new in from, they were somewhere else in Iraq and they just brought them over here. And so this was one of the first things. And I remember 
riding in the back of the Humvee, looking up at the lights, and I had, you know, this this eye was all covered up. But I I remember saying, like, you guys just missed your turn. <laughs> and they did. We had to do it. We, uh, yeah. Thanks, guys. So, uh, get, get me back to Mamadia. You know, they, they patched me up pretty good. Um, and then they have a Black Hawk down there. And I remember getting put into the Black Hawk. And I remember taking that ride to uh, Baghdad, actually, yeah. and just watching the moon through the rotor. Um, yeah. You know, having the guy work on me the whole time. And then I got to Baghdad. They did the initial amputation. I was actually taken at the ankle first. Um, I remember the doctor asking me, he's like, you know, your foot's really bad. It's definitely gone. We can take you below the knee or at the ankle. Where do you want us to do it? And I'm like, you're the doctor, doctor. Uh, where they teach you in medical school? Like, I have no idea. Keep as yeah. much of it as you can, right? I don't know. Um, and then from there, couple of days later i was down in balad and then from balad to longstool and then longstool was surgeries every other day to clean out all the crap from iraq for a couple of weeks and then uh put you on a flight pad i was in a c-130 with i mean we're probably eight wide and i don't know how many deep just slap sucks man um stretchers i mean 2004 was was yeah it was, it was getting hot yeah and um so yeah flew us to i went to um andrews and then from andrews to bethesda bethesda for a couple of weeks down to walter reed uh walter reed for about six seven months and then i got myself transferred to the madison va I retired from the marine corps in 2005, end of October 2005, and then transferred my care to uh, VA. I didn't even have a working prosthetic when I left, but I was bound and determined to get back to work um, and get back. I had young kids at the time. So my kids, my first marriage, uh, one's a senior at UW-La Crosse, 21. The other one's a sophomore at UW-Madison, 19. And then I have a uh, a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old boy. So I got three boys and a girl. And um, so, yeah, I wanted to get back home to them. But, you know, staying in Walter, especially in that time in Walter Reed, like President, that's when I first met President Bush. He came by yeah. and visited all yeah. of us, you know, but there was always constantly celebrities. And I would go home all the time. Every time I can get a convalescent leave, I would go home. And I'd come back and they're like, we got to give the – the world series rings to all the Boston Red Sox people. And we got to meet this. We got, so I could see, like I saw then first was I saw a lot of guys that didn't have much to go home to stay in there. Like, you know, and they would stay there a year, two years, you know, and, and, and I saw early on, this could be dangerous, right? If we start rewarding too much to people that get hurt, was that going to say about the people that, don't get yeah. hurt. I mean, and, and no one goes to a third world country, especially in a combat situation, and comes back okay. I mean, it's not that you're not okay, but you come back different, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're not going to find someone. It's not like so in World War II, you had 16 and a half million people deploy for a six year war, right? And we only had 140 million people in the country at the time. 
you know, when Iraq, Afghanistan kicks off, you got over 300 million people. And over 20 years, you don't get 3 million people that deploy. Right. You know, like, so when you come home, you no longer have whole neighborhoods of people that have served together. You got ones and twosies, right? And the Vietnam Vietnam guys were always my hero growing up. You know, it was Rambo. It was, you right. know, the Green Rays and John Wayne and all that stuff. But, um, and Desert Storm and Desert Storm. But, but to have your own guys, right? The own guys that, because we will never understand, like, the Vietnam guys tell me all the time, like, oh, I could never do the war that you guys did. I was like, are you I crazy? Don't understand that. Right. I can't understand how you guys could have been in the jungle. You yeah. couldn't see anything. It's hot. You got snakes. You got trench, like, tripwires. Yeah. Like, Korean guys fighting. Flag, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know, and, and the Korean guys fighting in the snow, in the mountains, and just craziness. Right. Um, but I mean, there's not that many of us and, and there's, we're not going to make anymore and which is a good thing. Right. But at the same time, it's kind of lonely. And I think that's where that, and then just the hyper-focus, right. You had a lot of people, the boomer generation that was guilty on how they treated their own and, and during their war. And then they almost double messed it up by pouring too much into the wounded here and not really as much into everybody else. And, and, and that's just what we got to bring some balance to. And that's what, when I started Sierra Delta, I was like, we're either helping all the vets or I'm not going to be a part of it. Like, that's what this is going to do. And, and that's where I love, like, the people of Nantucket, uh, the Bishop family with Blue Buffalo. Like, everybody listen to me. Like, I know this is going to sound scary. It's going to sound like a whole lot of money. But we're going to help all the vets. And we're going to figure out a way to do it with whatever money we raise, but I think we can do it. And so far it's working. And, and that's what we have to do because I mean, even if a vet's homeless and they have a dog, like hell, we can help you get some training at least, you know, I'm, I can't get you a house, but I can at least help and, you know, make that relationship with your dog. Who's probably your lifeline on the streets a little bit better, you know? And you kind of alluded to like uh, your relationship with President Bush and how he visited you, Walter Reed. And I think that like he's come under a lot of public attack for for, you know, those this war and everything after. And I think um, he's chosen to probably not not address it. You know, he, he's he's just letting it be what it was. You know, he's kind of he in small acts, but like maybe give us some insight. Like what's the relationship you have with him and, and how have you come to understand him today? He is one of the smartest men I've ever met. And it is also one of the hardest working. Like he's early everywhere. He, he's hundred percent committed in whatever he's doing. stays on time. He's kept up with all of us. Um, he found out when, when I had cancer in 2018, uh, lymphoma, you know, he sent me a note like, Hey, I heard you had cancers, you know, stick with a Belushi, all that stuff. And, um, you know, I'm part of team 43 and, you know, it, it's not like I have a, um, it's not like we're texting each other, you know, but when his dad dies, I send him a note, you know, yeah. mom dies, send him a note, you know, every now and again, send him a note here and there. And he replies. And every year we get a Christmas card from him and Laura and he cares. Um, he really does care. I, you know, the, the whole 
I look at presidents almost like quarterbacks, right? In football, they get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, the, at the end of the day, what I always try to tell people is we can't go back and undo it. So what is it? I mean, yeah, we can talk about this. We can talk about that. I mean, you know, we didn't get into World War II. We see that as the good war, but we were kicking and screaming not to get into that one too, you know, and at some point in time, you just have to own it, right? And this is what we did. Um, I don't, I can't really judge if it's right or wrong because um, you, you, you don't, there's no other way to test the theory, right? We have just as much information that if we didn't go into Iraq, things would be worse as we do that things would be better. I think so, you said, you kind of alluded to that earlier is like, um, you know, points of view, like the perspective of people right. in their countries, like that's fine. Like we know, you know, as we get better, we start to realize good and bad can happen at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's, uh, it's terribly subjective. And I, I just think with like hearing your story and the relationship that you have with President Bush, like I'm, I'm happy for that. You know, like I joined under him, I served under him and I deployed and, and came home under him. And um, it's nice to hear that he's, he's taken such a, a, a personal way of, of going about that. And I'm not surprised at all. The closest I got to meeting him was in 2004. I did a JRTC rotation in Louisiana and he came down to bless off uh, an Arkansas National Guard unit. And I was like three feet away off shaking his hand. That's, that's kind yeah. of the highlight as far as that goes. But like, I think that spoke to the, how the guy was like, he wasn't there. I don't think as much for political reasons, but I think that like he, he was there for the people and I, he made certain to, to appear at these things that mm-hmm. it was not a big media event that we were at, you know, it's no, like yeah. a very small unit was about to deploy. And I think for him, it was very personal. Yeah, it, it wasn't it, just an active unit. He was doing something bigger, and and you know, I think that resonated with me, and and I appreciate him for who he is. Absolutely, and I think the Portraits of Courage project, I think, just really shows how much he does care. So, yeah. he took up painting after presidency, right? Because Winston Churchill did, right? And he got to a point, and he was on his, uh, I think, second or third teacher, and he was progressing. He's actually a really good painter and he was looking for another challenge and the painter challenged him to tell somebody's story that most people don't know and he chose us you know he chose a bunch of the vets that served under him um and i mean if you look at if you look at the book uh, and what's what's even better is the audio book he actually reads the audio book so he reads each one of our stories. You can hear the recognition in his voice too, as he, as he kind of reads this. Um, but I think that's amazing. It's the number one selling art book of all time. Yeah. Of all time is, is president Bush's portraits of courage of just, I think there's like 70, 80 of us in there. Um, and then it's the, the portraits are traveling um, around the country to other museums and, the only um, the only reprints made of it were the ones that he sent to each one of us. So I have I have one of my picture and one of the picture of me and Jack. Um, so I have two reprints of President Bush's painting just hanging out in my office. So um, that's it's pretty cool. 
you know, and, and so flex, you know, and, and what other president, what other president has elevated, you know, the, the lowest common denominator of their reign, if you will, of, of their time and service, like not, none of them have, none of them have really focused even on their teams, right? Well, it's usually about that. them. I think it goes beyond that. It's like post-presidency, nobody expects anything of you. You know, like yeah. look at these gentlemen who have decided to quietly, go- nobody knows he's doing this. Like, I'm not saying nobody, but like, right. I don't know that most people know he's doing this. And I think right. that it's, um, he's chosen to, to, to do it a certain way. Right. And I, I feel like I watched some hunting show that um, they got to hunt on one of his ranches down there, or maybe yeah. his ranch. I don't know that he has multiple ranches, but um I feel like I got a snapshot to him that just confirmed a lot of my beliefs about the guy and that he is to me, like the prototype. Well, he's a Texan, you know, he's just a nice guy. He's going to share, he's going to be very hospitable. Uh, he's going to care about you and get to know you. And um, he's competitive too. So like on the warrior 100, all the bike riders, like, Oh yeah. People always ask, like you played golf. Like how come you don't um, do the warrior 100? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't mountain bike that often. And besides, he's pretty competitive. I'm going to wait till he gets a little older. <laughs> then I'll go out there with him. Because he's, he's, he gives it his all. Like, I mean, he wants to win. And that's, uh, and that, and that's obvious. And what he does, he does well. And I mean, he's really focused a lot on Africa. He's done a lot of great work there in his post presidency. And, you know, I mean, you got to, you got to, I, I'm trying to take a page out of his book and, and, and not argue those fights that, you know, you can't, you know what I mean? When somebody argues that it was a mistake to go into Iraq, I always ask like, you're basing that off of what? Because that's an opinion at the end of the day. You can sell it as a fact all you want. The fact is we went into Iraq. That's the only fact, right? And history will tell whether or not it's good or bad. At the end of the day though, it doesn't really matter because we went in and so far, I mean, it's, I, yeah. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? We just got to make the best of what it, what it is. There's no going back and redoing things. So I think you said it all right there. It's like, uh, let's do the best with what we have. We're not going to get a chance for any do-overs. I mean, we can get some simple do-overs, but not like that, you know, like, so whatever we're doing, let's do it. That's right. I mean, so I had Michael Vick came out and played one of our football games and he's a great guy. And people yeah. bashed me for, because of what he did with dogs and, and I have a dog company. I was like, but the man paid his dues. He said he was sorry and he's actively working to make it better. If we can't forgive that, then, then what the hell point is it of actually doing, of doing your time and, and, right. and making amends. So a lot of us just need to get, get the hell over it ourselves right and it really isn't that bad um and people just love to hate people love to hate certain people it's the same reason you hate if you're a packers fan you don't like the bears why don't you like the bears well because the bears are a terrible football team As, 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 a, as the Bears fan in the room, it's not that they're a terrible football team, but they just, uh, their organizational structure is not dependent upon winning games for some reason. For some reason. 
It's so frustrating. I think I moved is here that from the Texas one that has and to I'm go a Dallas fan, so I don't want to hear anyone talk about how terrible their team is right now. The wait, Cubs wait, have wait. the Cubs have a goat, but yeah. Cubs, so it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a curse. They got over it, evidently. Yeah. BJ, I I can't thank you enough for your time tonight, man. It's oh, it's, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. I think that um when we all think of what, what our place in the world is, we're trying to do a thing. And I think that going forward, we're happy to support you and your brand and, and not just you and your brand, but the things that, that, that yeah. are happening in Sierra Delta space. And so like, don't be surprised if we don't try to make people think that you're, you're giving us advertising. Cause we're going to, we're going to talk about you guys. Um, we're going to try to push them towards your mission. I think it's an awesome mission uh, for fundraising, for people to get connected for all of it. Cause I think it's yeah. a good, it's a good thing. Thank you. Um, definitely. Yeah, no, you know, reach out to Heidi and Mick, see if they want to come on. And, you know, I know a lot of, you know, once you guys sign up, you know, talk with the rest of the guys. Most of them are more than happy to, you know, tell their stories too. So, it'd be a, I mean, join up, get a part of the community. And yeah, this is what we're all here for each other. And whatever I can do to help you guys as well, just let me know. And um, that's all we can do. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and do the thing. We'll wrap it up. Um, we'll look forward to future conversations with you and your people and, and, and what happens next for all of us. Cause I think at this point it's time for a family hug and we'll see how we all come out of it. I think we'll be better for it. For and, sure. Uh, it sure. Just, I can't thank you enough for, for your time, man. It's, it's, it's been a fun conversation. I'm glad that you're not too far away. We'll have to get together and have some dinner. Yeah, yeah for sure. No, we've got to get, we need to get, I, I mean, I can't stand this quarantine stuff, but I understand that we got to be safe and all that other jazz. So, but once we do kind of get the all clear, we need to get people back together. Cause there's one thing yeah, I learned definitely. from this. I mean, like we can't take those, those picnics and, you know, shenanigans lightly anymore because they can go away real quick. And so as, as, as the leader or the, the unchosen leader of my COVID a uh, recovered family who has antibodies who donates his convalescent plasma that um, we can do it sooner than later. If, if, if Yeah, actually, oh, I should probably go do some of that too since I had it in June. I should need to donate some of my, some of my plasma. There you go. I, I tell you once, if you give up your phone number, it's like the, the, the politicians will call you. Oh. <laughs> They're going to call you five times a week. Hey, can, I, can we have your blood? It's like, calm down, vampires, man. Right. <laughs> my family I've only got so much. Chill. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to build some more up real quick. <laughs> I get it. I'm a big dude these days, but uh, you know, right. I don't have that much blood. I kidding. That's right. Well, it's awesome, man. I think you guys are doing a great job. I love the, I love the name. Um, I think you guys are doing amazing. And yeah, what else I can do to help and, and get some more guests on here for you? We'll do it. For sure, man. Awesome. All right. Awesome, man. Fight, you, or man. Die. Fight or die. That's that's it. Fight right? or die. That's right. Fight cool. or die. Take care, right, BJ. Guys. Appreciate See you, man. Have a good night. Have a good night, man. Bye.